0: going to do a new intro and i think i'm not because i didn't think this through before i record uh but it's february 23rd 2024 and you are listening to after a two-year hiatus psychology is dead i'm your host quentin moody and it's been a while it's been a while i haven't really been in the mood to record psychology is dead stuff and If you've listened to the Always Barry Tanners or just the QNTR podcast, I've talked about that in plenty of detail and even tweeted about it, but I just haven't really been in the mood to record these, but I feel rejuvenated. I feel good again. And part of me getting back into wrestling is some of the older stuff I was watching. I've been watching a lot of Joshi, but a lot of what I was watching also happened to be Shoe Style. And for some reason, that just happened to be the style that I've gravitated to the most in this period of kind of like rehabbing my wrestling fandom. And since that was the majority of what I was watching, I figured, well, why not bring Psychology is Dead back and do a show about it? So what you were listening to is We Killed Shoot Style. And with me to be the guest on uh, the two-year return of Psychology is Dead is someone that, and recently I've gotten familiar with his work, and I really enjoy what he's done and what he's doing. You can subscribe and watch his videos uh, as uh, Four Pillars of Hell on YouTube, and you can find him on Twitter at, what, Ethan Mac and Cheese? Mm-hmm. But with me, I have Ethan. Ethan, how are you?
1: I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. I'm very excited to talk about all of this stuff and why anybody who thinks certain things about shoot style are wrong and dumb. Couldn't be more happy to be here.
0: The thing, So the thing that like I find very interesting is I like the idea of... Well, not even the idea. I find it interesting, the history of shoot style. Like, the entire history
1: of shoot style is something that I find extremely fascinating. Yeah, and, it's one of the most interesting stories wrestling ever told outside of the ring.
0: Yeah, and in a lot of ways, which I do plan on speaking on here, I feel like you can't really tell the history of shoot style without kind of talking about the history of wrestling becoming a thing and before we get into all that stuff and getting into the deep sort of historical weeds that i feel like it's kind of like different territory for psychology is dead i want to pivot to you and ask you about your relationship with shoot style as a wrestling genre
1: well i got gotten to shoot style in a different way than a lot of people did first thing i watched wasn't like the classic uwf matches i didn't watch uh what was it? Fujiwara versus Super Tiger first. I watched it was Akita versus Ishikawa from Futen in 2005 for a project that I did a while ago. And that got me hooked. And I just started watching all of the Futen and Battle Arts that I could. And then I sort of branched out with a bunch of my friends. We did a bigger deep dive into all the shoot style and shoot adjacent promotions out there. I chose UWF, the, uh, reboot uwf to sort through and find great matches from and that's sort of how i got more into just specific wrestlers in shoot style
0: so like who and if anyone's familiar familiar with your work they can probably guess some of the names but who, mm-hmm. were, some of the, who were some of the people that kind of caught your eye and stood out to you the most as you're making your way through it
1: Well, easily the people that caught my eye the most were Daisuke Ikeda and Yuki Ishikawa. Their rivalry is probably the greatest in professional wrestling history for what I want from it. Because it's just 20 plus years, 30 years to this point, of these two guys beating the shit out of each other. Because they have slight differences in who they think the best wrestler of all time is. And that's something that I can really gravitate towards. Other guys, specifically in battle arts, that I really, really love are Takeshi Ono and Alexander Otsuka. Just the two extremes that you could have possibly for something like Battle Arts. The lanky little striker who has gloves on and will just pick at you constantly versus the suplex machine who will toss you at the worst angles imaginable. But outside of that, the guys I'm most fond of are probably Yoshiaki Fujiwara for obvious reasons, one of the best wrestlers of all time, for just the breadth of influence he has on pretty much anybody who was involved in shoot style after he started it working in like 1984 with super tiger and my favorite guy in uwf just for personal reasons is tatsuo nakano because i love blood and at any given moment in a match there's a good chance that somebody's going to palm strike him right in the just the perfect spot to make his nose a fountain.
0: He just he just has really bad luck, like I don't know he what does. I don't know what it is about him. It's just really bad luck because it's funny as we as you actually watch more shoot style or shoot adjacent stuff, you'd be surprised that that stuff doesn't happen very often. no but it just seems to attract tops <laughs> just it seems to attract him a
1: lot. It seems to attract Nakano a lot. He has a very breakable nose, I guess. Yeah,
0: I don't I don't I don't know. I actually was just uh watching the Kakihara match.
1: Oh my god, the Kakihara match.
0: Yeah, I was actually just watching that one last night.
1: And I'm just like, dude, he's it just doesn't ever stop. <laughs> no, it doesn't. The towel he like bleeds into just gets covered. It just soaks, turns red completely, and he's still going. Kakihara looks like a murder victim. <laughs> but none of it is his blood. Well none of it's his blood. <laughs> God, he's just he's just the best at what he does. He is like have you ever seen the match between him and Shinya Hashimoto? Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. just the bigger Elvis impersonator beating the shit out of the smaller Elvis impersonator.
0: Yes. It's like literally just the mini me getting fuck the mini me getting fucking obliterated for God knows whatever these reasons are. Just, like, just because. To be, just because of Shinya Hashimoto. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'd probably say I, I definitely started with UWF. And a lot of that comes from the fact of like my initial exposure comes from I'm 18, whatever, 17 years old, and trying to un- navigate the world of PWO and DVD VR and just learning, and learning more about wrestling. And I came across a match pack that had like the top twenty-five matches on the uh, UWF AD set or some shit like that. Oh yeah, and that was where I think I got my first exposure to that on a widespread level. Had I seen stuff influenced by UWF, like obviously, like I mean, I've seen like Lowkey and Danielson or some shit like that, mm-hmm. and you see traces of. UWF inspired elements in the US indie scene in the 2000s, but to go directly to that source, I hadn't done that until in that point. In it was for sure eye opener. I think to be basic and be honest, I thought Super Tiger was really fucking good, and I had seen Tiger Mask already, and I know that the opinions on Tiger Mask are kind of varying at this point, 2024. But UWF Tiger Mask fucking rules. He does. And I was even just watching the aforementioned uh, Super Tiger versus Yokiaki Fujiwara match last night. And I watched
1: it, it this morning.
0: Yeah, and it holds up like just as well as I remember it holding up when I was 17 or 18 years old, first being exposed to it. And I think that my relationship there kind of started with UWF, was more in the battle arts and then something like rings took me a little longer to get there, which we can get, which we, which we can get to in a, in a, at some point in the podcast, Mm -hmm. but over the last few years, I think I've expanded more into being like sort of mostly a rings guy, to be honest, which is something I would have never expected for myself when I was 19, 20, again, first getting used to the style that I never would have thought that the rings side of things would be where I landed on. But it just more and more has become what I'm gravitating to.
1: Oh, interesting. Why is the ring stuff the stuff you're gravitating more towards? Because it seems like, at least to me, it's the stuff I'm gravitating a little bit less towards at the moment.
0: I I think that because right now, I am so enamored by the execution of certain stuff. And it's not mm-hmm. that the UWF or battle arts or PWFG or whatever you want to go to, like that these guys aren't executing these things very well. Cause they mm-hmm. are, they're really great at what they do. But to give a specific example, when I'm watching Han versus Tamora, which yeah. like, as far as the grappling is heralded, as the standard for shoot style wrestling or anything aiming toward toor- any, any, aiming towards being like that. Mm-hmm. It's not even about the grappling. It's... I watch Han do this fucking double wrist lock takedown. Yeah. And it's just the freakiest fucking thing in the world. As he holds Tamora in the air by his fucking arm. It's ridiculous. Double wrist lock. and has complete control over him and throws the cleanest fucking throw possible. And... As much as I love watching, say, Takata versus uh, versus Tamora mm-hmm. from February 14th, 1993, or oh, yeah. as much as I love other stuff within there, you give me any random Ikeda versus Ishikawa match. I love all those to the point where I can't even pick a favorite. But yeah. I think that right now I'm just kind of, like sort of so enamored by the execution mm-hmm. of rings that, that's where I'm kind of leaning towards the most. I think I have an appreciation more for the execution. And I think escalation, honestly, of how rings did their stuff.
1: Yeah. Rings is just like, if you want to see wrestling moves executed at the absolute highest level, rings is where you go. For yeah. me right now, I'm more like leaning towards the side of loving passion and brutality more than technique per se. And that's where companies like Battle Arts really, really shine, especially when they go out of their way to bring people who aren't as versed in the style, like your Matsunagas or your Murakamis, and you just plop them in against the best of the best, like Otsuka or Ishikawa, and see what happens. So I think that in order to understand the history of shoot
0: style, I think that you have to go really, really far back.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, back.
0: really, really, really far back to the inceptions of wrestling, almost. Because, just, I'm not giving new information here, or acting no. as if I'm the biggest rest, fucking wrestling historian ever exist, but wrestling wasn't always worked. And there was a traveling catch world champion. We're talking like our Jim Lando's fucking Ed Strangler Lewis type days where these were people that were going around doing catch competitions. And like at some point during that time, while they were presenting to be real serious athletic competitions, things became works and they started doing things more as performance art, but the roots in professional wrestling come from initially it being real presented as real catches catch wrestling Mm -hmm. and as wrestling became more performance art that changes but that even manifests in japan eventually in japan's wrestling scene doesn't really take form until after world war ii but it follows the same elements
1: yeah at i feel like at that point once uh You could call the very beginnings of pro wrestling basically where they were kind of transitioning in between the pure shoot and more worked stuff, pure performance art. That's like an area where I would consider it like the origins of what we would now consider shoot style. That's where it kind of that's where the inception of it is at its core. But then I feel like we have to take. A tiny bit of a leap until we get to what we now consider shoot style. So, yeah, Enoki Ali, that was 1976. Yes. So, that was like not only was it the inception of what we now know as mixed martial arts, it's where Enoki got to display his vision for not only pro wrestling, but what we would consider Enokiism on Mm -hmm. the largest stage possible.
0: I think the thing too, that's even worth mentioning is even the idea of these discipline versus discipline style matchups had existed long before Ali versus Anoki. Yeah. It just happened to be that this one is just the biggest possible stage and broadcasting ever of it, because there's stories of like Ed Strangler Lewis chasing around Jack Dempsey to do like a, Boxer versus wrestler fight, or the famous Helio, um, Helios Gracie versus Kimura fight in prison. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's what I was going to mention. So
0: there's stuff like this that you can point to as discipline versus discipline, and that existed. But Ali versus Anoki is like the first big, like spectacle broadcasted everywhere on television type of deal like this. And you can read more on Ali versus Anoki. <coughs> agree more ollie versus Anoki, in uh david's obituary for Anoki, or the book by josh gross on on that specific uh match itself but for sure that is a pivotal point in the story of all this stuff coming to be and really sets the forefront for what Anoki wanted to do with wrestling or what his idea of wrestling was
1: and if we're talking about Anoki, we can't talk about him without mentioning the God of Pro Wrestling—that is Carl Gotch, who is the reason that we have any of this in the first place.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Like he's someone that's completely—you can't separate the history of wrestling at in in general from Carl Gotch, from influence, people he trained, all that stuff even down to specifically these shoot-style federations, Carl Gotts plays
1: a big part in all of this. Mm -hmm. He trained guys like uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, obviously Antonio Inoki, all the way to Yuki Ishikawa, surprisingly enough.
0: Mm -hmm. So I think that something that I was learning as I was going through the history of UWF and what was new to me is UWF is presented as this coup in New Japan wrestling that these guys all yeah. left to go start their own federation. And it's actually a new Japan subsidiary. It wasn't actually like a real coup. It was supposed to be a like two-brand thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And initially you were gonna you're supposed to see names like Antonio Winoki, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Dick Murdoch, on top of you, our Maeda's, and all that stuff was supposed to be involved as well. But UWF had a, had a completely different pitch from when it was first being pitched to Fuji TV. And then none of these things wound up happening. And UWF, that, that original run in 1984, never wound up making it to TV. And... This kind of goes toward what, like some of the misconceptions and I think criticisms of Shu's style that I think it me to it about business failings and things like that. Because UWF never had a TV deal. And if you like, you can point to like whatever reasons you can think of, whether it was that a pitch that they had never came to fruition, you can point to something like Hasashi Shinma's exit from New Japan. And, uh, and him, him, him being the UWF founder, maybe that being making it harder for UWF to get a contract. You could point to the stuff Satoru Sayama in, in connection to the Yakuza, whatever you wanted to mm-hmm. do. There are like several different things you could point to as to why UWF had an issue getting on TV. But the bottom line is that original run of UWF, like they didn't get a TV deal. And once the, once the New Japan stuff is a sort of like connection that was meant to be didn't happen. The guys that were there were funding the shows themselves, like they weren't really getting help from New Japan,
1: which is crazy.
0: It's 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 a really wild thing. I was I was like, Why why do they not have a TV deal? I genuinely didn't get it, I didn't understand it. I'm like, oh, this makes more sense. They like had this completely different pitch, obviously. Shinma being Anoki's guy and everything like that. There was some sort of idea that maybe Anoki would make appearances on UWF, and that turns out to be part of the pitch. And that's it's, it's really crazy that we mean that even with UWF in the original run, there's even a pit, there's even this uh, sort of a what if of what if we would have gotten Anoki on the first show or on one of these shows, anything if we had like just the presence of Anoki in one of these style matches happening on one of these shows.
1: that would it's such a shame that uwf never really got that tb deal that it was supposed to because one i think it would have been unbelievable for like shoot styles growth and two i feel like it would have lasted even shorter because there would have been people very upset by the wrestling they were seeing being that just intense
0: which 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 is a thing for sure that i think that some people mentioned that part of why UWF and street style in general had an issue taking to set in some places and couldn't expand uh, outside of Tokyo was like the sort of shock to the system that yeah. it was for some people to see something like so brutal or whatever. But I also think that's, and that's very funny when we have UWF eventually close uh, that original UWF eventually closed, And that's mostly due to Satoru Sayama and Akira Maeda's creative differences and stuff like that, that, mm-hmm lead to that one folding but then the main uwf guys excluding sayama all make their way back to new japan and uwf versus new japan is one of the most legendary feuds of all time and you listen to those crowds you look at these matches you watch the wrestling and it's as good as wrestling as you'll find anywhere ever ever and what do you think the appeal is there? Because to me, again, we talked about the history of wrestling and Japanese wrestling, and even like st- I didn't even get to mention like, Jap- like Japan's relationship with combat with combat sports. Like Japan is fifth in total medals and third in gold medals of freestyle wrestling. That's not something I knew. I didn't know Japan was that prevalent in Olympic wrestling. And Japan is the birthplace of judo, so this makes sense. But they're first in total medals and gold medals in judo by a very wide margin. So by this point, Japan has a really, really, really deep relationship with combat sports and any sort of like martial discipline. Even
1: going all the way back to the uh, Kimura versus Helio Gracie. mm -hmm. And that's like, that definitely isn't the origin but that may have been one of like the sticking points for Japanese martial arts being not only internationally accepted, but being so powerful and strong, which is something that so many of these shoot-style wrestlers champion whenever they're wrestling against somebody else.
0: And you, you see this, and then, obviously, wrestling became more performance art or whatever, and by the time we're getting to 1984, when, when some thinks of 1984 Japanese wrestling, I don't think that they're necessarily like, thinking of it as like being like this super grand performance. Like by today's standards, we're not looking at 1984 wrestling as if it's the most over the top theater in the world. But from what wrestling used to be, it absolutely was more performance art. And when you get UWF, it was their presenting, especially in the way of maybe their most notable contribution to wrestling to some people, in an era where there were no finishes or no clean finishes, like presenting stuff, but like presenting finishes and satisfying outcomes in their matches. UWF was, UWF was like a breath of fresh air and maybe even a little bit of nostalgia that I think directly coincided with the itch that like wrestling fans had as wrestling became more of a performance.
1: Yeah. I think that's 100% of the reason that the UWF New Japan Rivalry is so important, not just because it was an interpromotional rivalry where people were able to pick sides. They were like ideologically opposed to one another, where New Japan wanted to continue the trend of not necessarily because, as you said, it's not as much of a performance art act as you would see today. But New Japan wanted to continue what they were doing with combining wrestling with that performance art. And UWF on the other. Sorry. Turning to whatever they viewed as pure wrestling. They wanted to return to an era where they thought whatever they were doing, or just pure shoot style, in essence, is what they thought wrestling was missing. And they wanted to prove that what they were doing was correct and what wrestling should continue forward with. By destroying one of the biggest companies in the whole country. It's
0: it's it's really special stuff. Like that, especially
1: like that first run.
0: It doesn't do as big of business as like the uh as, as the mid-90s iteration of it, but like it's so fucking good and it's really disappointing in some ways that like the biggest matchup coming out of it was Akira Maeda versus Antonio Winoki and neither of those two just had any interest in losing to the other. Yeah. And, like genuinely we missed out on what would have been one of the biggest wrestling matches of all time, because, you know, we'll, we'll talk about both of these guys. Cause we have to, when we talk about street style, but like we, because of these two guys really big egos and differences when it came to wrestling and all that stuff, we missed out on what would have been one of the biggest matches in wrestling history.
1: And there are so many different instances of that, specifically with these two guys, but this is probably the most damning and upsetting, because at their peaks, when everything was going on between those two factions, when Akira Maeda was public enemy number one, and Antonio Inoki is always going to be the guy, but when he was kind of at the top, the height of defending his company against these cocky invaders, were going against everything he believes in that would have made not only so much money but it would have made so many people understand why shoot style and antonio inoki's vision is what wrestling should be going forward so not only is it just bad for the business and public view of wrestling it was a bad move for like just the visibility of what they were trying to do mm-hmm.
0: The first, the the original UWF ends after a little over a year, maybe even Mm -hmm. less, maybe even less than a year, and then eventually we get UWF Newborn, and this is this 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 time without Sayama, but what we do get is a UWF that is bringing some New Japan guys with them now after the return, so we're getting the same cast, we're getting. We're getting Maeda, we're getting Takada, we're, we're getting Kazuo Yamazaki, Fujiwara, all the guys that we love before. Eventually, you're getting someone like a Tamora coming in, coming into the fold and stuff like that. But what you're also getting is Minoru Suzuki and Masakatsu Funaki, exactly leaving leaving the New Japan Dojo. And those two guys, specifically for their contributions and other ways later on, later on in the stylistic evolution and popularizing of MMA, but. In one super specific instance with Masakatsu Funaki, yes, it creates a wrestling butterfly effect that I think maybe isn't talked about enough because at the same period in time, Masakatsu Funaki is sharing the time in the dojo with Keiji Yamada, who would go on to work the Jushin Thunderlager gimmick and go on to be become one of the best wrestlers of all time. Yes. But- in something that Liger directly said himself, that if anyone wants to see, like I can have a problem like linking this in uh in the description for this episode, but Liger himself talked about how Masakatsu Fanaki was the guy in the dojo and that the gimmick for Jushin Liger was originally supposed to go to Masakatsu Fanaki.
1: <laughs> That's insane.
0: Like that is a crazy sliding door to even think about. That Masakatsu Funaki playing Liger, and I think that like I think that Funaki, if he would have put in more time as a wrestler, probably could have been like an even better wrestler, even even better wrestler than he wound up being in the time of had him. I think exactly. maybe, he could he could have been great, but it, it's, it's so hard to imagine anyone playing Liger other than Keiji Yamada, but that's the position that things were at with new Japan at that time. And because of the relationships and because of like the dedication to the style that those UWF guys had sort of put into Minoru Suzuki and Masakatsu Funaki, we don't get that. And just your thoughts there on like Masakatsu Funaki was going to be the guy that got put in the costume.
1: I, I can't believe that I'm a little bit stunned. I love Matsukatsu Funaki especially the Tatsuo Nakano match that's a classic for a reason but if he was like allowed to explore more pro wrestling and wasn't given that intense UWF only do this training I think he could be almost as good at the lot not necessarily at what Yamada did with Liger yeah. but in his own interpretation of what Jushin Thunder Liger would be, I think he could do a fantastic job, mm. especially in that older heel role way later down the line against Noah. I think he would be the man.
0: It's something that I really would have liked to see, and I think that that's something that really is maybe the negative side of Sheik's Style some ways is that mm-hmm. because these guys... Like, if we want to talk about the Suzuki, Funakis, even Kiyoshi Tamura, like, were so dedicated to their discipline, to their style, to what their idea of pro wrestling was, that it kept them from being, like, even better pro wrestlers. And that's a 2020 is hindsight thing, because obviously those guys have had ambitions to go become mixed martial artists. and. Exactly some of them wound up being good at it and some of them wound up not being very good at it, but not at all. <laughs> yeah. So like these guys all had different ambitions and goals and stuff, but it's, it's worth thinking about that. What, what would we have gotten if Minoru Suzuki and Funaki like decided that they wanted to be involved in wrestling more in the nineties and not decided they wanted to go like more into the fight realm. But what would we got if, if, if Tamora went with UWFI In the '90s, to go work to go to go work the New Japan stuff. Like, who knows? Um, There's a bunch of stuff that happens with Akira Maeda. Yeah. During all of these things, there's several incidences of kicking people in the face and getting Mm -hmm. suspended and all this shit. Uh, UWF newborn comes around. Akira Maeda and management have an issue. Akira Maeda and the management. There's money going places that Maeda doesn't isn't particularly a fan of, and that specifically is money that that is money going to god where was the money going i'm forgetting where it was but i think it was to sws i think there was money being given yeah. to sws and Ada particularly wasn't a fan of that because he wanted the you know it's uwf and these guys want to be seen as the most legitimate of legitimate and he had an issue with the cooperating with other more performance art more performance art based Sides of wrestling. He just he he did he didn't want that happening. I asked to look into the books. Things spiral from there. Maeda gets suspended and eventually fired, and then we have the all the people splinter off into different groups. We have Maeda going and starting rings. Yoshiaki Fujiwara taking some of his guys and going and starting PW, PWFG, and then we have Nobuhiko Takada going and starting UWFI, and. UWF Newborn still really was successful and I think is the iteration that a lot of people most probably remember of UWF because like, I don't, I I, I think this is, like, this is probably where the explosion of the popularity happens for the style and we are seeing more and more of the influence and staying power that was had here. But I think it's so weird and hard to put in perspective that they're doing this and these runs are lasting for like a year and a half two years and for various reasons these promotions are dying and one of the things that gets talked about with true style that will get talked about at some point is the fact that it's a dead style the fact that the business wasn't great for it and it couldn't have been that good and this and that if it's just like a completely dead genre and I think that the thing that gets missed with stuff like this is context of what was happening. Like UWF in that original run, they never got a TV deal. I don't think that's anything of an indictment against the style. I think that like whatever original plans just didn't come to fruition and a, in a TV station, didn't pick it up. Cause it didn't have a star. I don't think that's an indictment of the style itself. I think so. I think sort of similar situations, but like the Japanese economy, and other things factor into like UWF Newborn, even though UWF Newborn was very was very successful in the time that it existed. But there's these misconceptions that exist within shoot style, of uh, because it's not super prevalent now, or because we saw these certain things flame out, that it's about a lack of appeal. And while I think that there are some people that had a hard time taking to it as they became more adjusted and used to the more entertainment style or evolved performance style of pro wrestling. I think that there are just like several business factors and other worldly factors that like come into why shoot style has such a complicated history that goes beyond and eh, people didn't like it that much.
1: Yeah. There are like, there's so many mitigating factors for why shoot style doesn't really exist today that it would take so long to go through them. But I think the two biggest in my mind are the fact that these companies were also insular and the fact that you have to have so much trust in the people that you're working with to do it so well.
0: That it's it trusts to the point where, like, let's be honest that like we look at some of these people, and when you have like someone like Akira Maeda, who's such a big figure here, Maeda didn't trust anybody. No. Maeda completely isolated himself from like fucking everyone. And I don't think Maeda from whatever i don't think Maeda's initial plan was to go and be by himself. I think that the guy, I think that the UWF guys had just they had gotten some, they had some meeting. It went in a different direction. And I think Maeda expected them to take it. And then they went and started UWF, and he went in his own direction with Rings. And we will see what Rings, as we mentioned it. Because Maeda was just on a fucking island by himself, you go and look at rings and it's a bunch of these guys from Holland and other places in Europe. Mm -hmm. And that's like an incredible accomplishment in itself that Maeda was even able to fucking sustain while 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 doing something like that. But it's, I think it comes more down to like the personalities that we had at play and ultimately this goes into the desire i think of a lot of these guys to be seen as legitimate and there's such dedication to their craft and their discipline that you got sometimes not the best decision making or handling of situations or the handling of like newer ideas where like i think people like yoshiaki fujiwara and yuki ishikawa love wrestling they love mm-hmm. pro wrestling they love like the catches can style stuff that they like studied under and love and like to employ in their own wrestling but they also have a love for the entertainment side and that just like doesn't really exist in the way of like an akira maeda who got the option by new japan that instead of being suspended how about you go to mexico and he said fuck no i'm not going to mexico no <laughs> like he like you like fuck no i'm not going to mexico or kiyoshi tamara when uwfi and new japan are feuding T- tamara doesn't want to go in new japan
1: no he doesn't
0: and those are guys that i i love like i love tomorrow like he's on the short list of guys that like could be in my top 10 ever when we do the gwe process i love the dude but it, like this he's in that category of guys that like insulated and had such dedication to what they believed in that i think that also is a part of what kept the shoot style stuff from sticking in a major way because that desire to be seen as legitimate does come back to like bite them in various ways but we have to talk about pancreas specifically and i think shudo as well these other things um we're kind of like jumping around and like pointing out all this other information but japan japan especially at this point after the shoot style stuff that we've seen come on from 1980, 1984 up until this point in 1989 1990 you will see it that this is the starting points of the idea of mixed martial arts becoming a thing now is that entirely exclusive to japan no like valet tuda, mm-hmm. like the idea of again discipline versus discipline stuff like that That's happening in Brazil at the same time. So, like, I'm not gonna come here and be completely ahistorical and not mention the like what Brazil was doing during like similar time periods that like contribute to the widespread growth of martial arts mixing, so 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 to speak. (laughs) And I see that now we're at a point where we're getting like K1 and there was a there was a K one predecessor as well that existed, but We're getting K-1, Sayama left wrestling and started Shuto, Suzuki and Masakatsu Fanaki and Takaku Fuke left pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi because they didn't really want to intermingle with like other stuff that they didn't feel fit their vision of legitimate legitimate sport-looking pro wrestling, and they left and found Pancrase. And by this point, we're getting to all these different variations of martial arts based promotions popping up in Japan that are doing various levels of good business. But it is worth kind of like pointing out by this point that like we're now starting to see these things sort of pop up and take shape, take shape and take form. And even if something like Pancrace eventually comes out that some of these fights were worked and things like that. We're seeing that now we're taking the shoot style element of this and applying it directly to making these fights more legitimate competitions but what did you what do do you make of the UWF newborn split and really the biggest part of this I think is the split in all the different things that we get uh from it really just great tree of things that come from this
1: I think the split was it wasn't necessarily that it was supposed to happen but it's something that was bound to happen at some point with all the egos in the room and the people who really believed that their vision of pro wrestling was what was going to be the future and those three distinct visions for a guy like Fujiwara then there's Takata and Maeda and then for Sayama to go off and found his own thing and Suzuki and Funaki to go do Pancrase later on I feel like all of that just exemplifies how many different people have their own ideas of what great wrestling can be and in an environment where you're supposed to go all out and hit each other hard, how much tensions flare when like your health and safety is more on the line than it would be if you were doing more traditional wrestling and how these guys will say, just put their feet down. And say, no, this is what we're doing. And if you want to follow me, follow me. If you don't, fine, go with somebody else. I think the split is probably the most important thing to happen in shoot style. And one of the more important things to happen in all of 90s pro wrestling. I'd put it up there with, and this isn't exactly 90s. But it happened right at the beginning of the decade. But I'd put it up there with something like Kenryu leaving all Japan. Or... Something later in the decade, like the Austin face turn, as something that kind of redefined not only how we view pro wrestling, but how pro wrestling just shapes out over the decades to follow.
0: So I think that, like, that's also a good point to get to what I put on the outline here as the shoot style spectrum, or in all caps, all shoot styles not the same. Yes. And that's very relevant here because by now we're going to get to things that have their own distinct styles. We had different variations of UWF up at this point. And then after this, we're getting three different brands of stuff. And I think that's worth highlighting because I do think to a lot of people who are kind of dismissive of the style, they paint shoot style or shoot adjacent with this very broad strokes brush that... Everything is similar. Everything is leg locks. Everything is this. Everything is that. Whatever they think shoot style is, all of it is that
1: way. And that, sorry to interrupt, but that irks me so much (laughs) because it's a similar thing to people who say that Lucha is all the same thing, even if it's not as, like, egregious and slightly racist. But, like, Lucha is so many different things at so many different times you could go back and see something like a Vikingo match in AAA. Or you could watch a match like, God, why am I forgetting the names? Oh, yes. Dr. Wagner Jr. versus Blue Demon Jr. from TripleMania. And those are two completely different things that happen in the same company. And you can't tell me that those are at all. They're just doing yaves, or they're just flipping all over the ropes. And shoot style is like a slightly smaller version of that but there are so many differences in each of these companies that make them a completely unique viewing experience. And the one thing that I do have to mention about the shoot style spectrum is that pretty much everybody in each of these companies hates wrestling every other style. Yes. Like, <laughs> Yuki Ishikawa and Daisuke Ikeda, whenever they went to rings, they fucking hated it. They never wanted to do it again. So, so
0: this, So this is actually a funny one, right? because I was watching Yuki Ishikawa versus Masayuki yet last night. Yeah. And love Ishikawa, and I really like Naruse, But they went to a 30-minute draw. Yeah. And that really fucking confuses me. I don't know. It's just a lot. You know, like, yeah. even as someone that loves MMA, like, I've watched, some I guess, like, even a further context of, like, my relationship with MMA, is I've been watching MMA since I was, like, eight years old. Oh, it's yeah. just, like, as something that I'm used to I've watched 25 minute title fights five round title fights in MMA cards like my like again the majority of my life so it's not like I'm not used to watching a long combat sporting event whether that's like a whether that's a mixed martial arts fight or it's a boxing match it, it's not something foreign to me but when you're doing a 30 minute draw in shoot style,
1: these guys especially.
0: Yeah, especially in 1993 for Ishikawa, who's still who's still really good, who's still very good by this point. Like he's like he's still newer into wrestling, he's still good. But it was like, oh man, dude, like 30 minutes of this.
1: And 30 minutes, I, and he just debuted the year before.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if you know anything about this, so you can give me an answer here, but i will, for the life of me last night I'm trying to figure out why the fuck did this go 30 minutes? Like the previous match that Ishikawa Ishikawa has at Rings, he wins it. He wins his previous he, he wins his match the previous month. And then he comes out, out there and has a 30-minute draw. Now, I don't know who was viewed as like the top guys coming out of the pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi Academy. I don't know who if there was if there was a pecking order here, who was viewed as higher, this and that. But to go to a 30-minute draw feels real specific to me like i don't want my guy losing type of shit
1: yeah there was so much of that in the early days of just shoot style in general in like the late 80s to early 90s -hmm. i was uh watching an episode of way of the blade and uh it was the funaki nakano episode and the guest mentioned how there was a uwf card i went and looked and it was true we're like two or three of the opening matches on the card went to 30 minute draws. It was, so it's just a thing that people would refuse to lose to each other, but would still have to wrestle. So they would just go for a draw.
0: But this is, this, this also goes to, I think some of the thing, and like, it's hard to just want to single out shoot, shoot style with this because part of this is, you know, you had shit with bro, with, with Brody and Hanson and, Anoki and tiger jeet singh and all these other fucking people that just like when whenever they were involved you usually just did not get a good like a clean finish and that is a thing that was hard for people that were watching new japan and all japan at these particular times where they're so dominated by japanese versus a foreign force uh encounters that it always ended that way so it's not like a particular like shoot style thing to have to deal with where like these kind of like weird non-satisfying finishes and i think a lot of people prefer a draw over a dq or a count out mm-hmm. but it's like goes to the i think a lot of the ego and the stuff to be seen as legitimate for these guys and because like getting knocked out and not been not you know get, getting work knocked out and not making the 10 count or tapping out or something like that is something that I think is viewed as more like a uh, like that's kind of sucks maybe a little bit more to them I don't know so we're gonna go to a, so we're gonna go to a thirty minute draw and that's I, I I I do feel like that probably like factors in a tiny bit because of this still like this lo- desire for legitimacy. In credibility that existed with some of these guys.
1: Oh, absolutely. That there, of, there's course a good they, chance of course that they, they
0: don't just... want to just lose because we're presenting this as if it's real. So we don't want to lose. Mm-hmm.
1: There's a good chance that this was just uh, because it was so early on in Yuki Ishikawa's career. There's also a good chance that Fujiwara just said, I'm sending you out there. This is going to be a 30 minute draw. I'm testing you. Because stuff like that would happen on a regular basis.
0: That is something that I can absolutely absolutely see Fujiwara doing. Um, I I just couldn't tell. Like, is this like, is he like the top guy in the fucking class or something? Like, and I, and, I, and I've never heard that before. Like, I didn't. Like, I've never heard that he was just like the star pupil, this and that of of what was going on there. So, I, I was so caught off guard as I'm watching. I'm like, why the fuck did this go so long? But to go back to this shoe style spectrum and. You mentioning that thing there, I think it's super important. Is like these guys also don't really want to wrestle each other, but rings is on this hyper, hyper realistic end where you're not really getting a lot of pro wrestling here, and almost to a point where if you're not used to watching mixed martial arts, like if you've never seen a mixed martial arts fight you would think rings is real. You would be able to sit there and think that it's real. Now, if you're familiar with mixed martial arts, you can see where there's like a level of cooperation that's going on here. But Mm -hmm. if that's not something that you're familiar with, that can very much just be presented as real non-worked MMA to you. And I think that rings eventually really found a nice groove there. And I, Gotta give Akira Maeda credit because he founded rings and had his book of had had his book of contacts in Europe and he made that shit work. He figured it out.
1: It's insane.
0: Like, I don't I don't know how the fuck he pulled that one off. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like some crazy, crazy shit. And you can't mention rings without specifically mentioning I think the guy other than Maeda and you can give some of the other Europeans credit too, but, like, the guy that really sets the standard in rings in this hyper-realistic execution-before-anything style is Vulcan.
1: It's Vulcan.
0: Like, just the standard bearer for everything because even Tamara gets there, what, 95, 96? Mm Mm-hmm. And Volkan had been there since at least 1991. He debuted 1991. I'm pretty
1: sure. Yeah, yeah. So, at the end of 91, against I think it was against Maeda, or at least one of his first few. His, matches. For, his
0: like first, it. his first match was Maeda. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't get mentioned in the all-time great rookie talk, and I think that is a by is a byproduct of the style and promotion he worked in. Just not just not being the cup of tea that everyone has. But for Volkan to come in at nearly 30 years old with no pro wrestling experience at all, only just having his incredibly real and legit Sambo background and going into shoot style, which I think we could talk about this. I feel like out of the promotions that birthed from the, from the fall of UWF Newborn, I think knowing how to work a rings style match is by far the hardest one to do easily easily like it's and, it's it's, and, it's an incredibly difficult task to like do everything so incredibly real looking but like just give enough like give a leg keep a arm keep an arm down longer than it should be do something that you wouldn't normally do in an actual fight something like that as to where like you can give that level of cooperation to make it an engaging watch. And you're not just watching guys, watching guys grapple around and wrestle around or whatever. Like it really is so based on timing that to come and do rings is one of the hardest fucking things. I think you could ask a rookie pro wrestler to do. And Volkan was
1: able to do it basically in the first match. Volkan is He's just the best rookie in wrestling history. There's no question about it. I don't think so, at least, because his rookie year, starting from like the end of 91 to I think it's like the middle of 92, he has a trilogy against Akira Maeda. That I'm saying this with no sense of hyperbole, comes almost close to the Tamora trilogy. It's that good. And he's that good as a rookie at 30 years old. I'm just, I don't think I've ever been as impressed with somebody coming into wrestling as I am with Volkan because he's a guy, not only is he a complete rookie, he had zero experience with the business beforehand. Most rookies have at least like a few years of training under their belt with somebody who's like at least somewhat legitimized in the style. Like, Ishikawa went and trained with Gotch and Fujiwara. Ikeda got his training in the New Japan Dojo and then with Fujiwara. So many different people trained specifically under Fujiwara or Maeda. But Han just did his own thing and is better than, like, a good half of the roster by the time he debuts, which is unfathomable.
0: And, like, even
1: within that, I think there's a ring style,
0: right? But... That when you watch, it's the market of great wrestlers, and I feel like it's even harder in this style. Where, like, if you watch Volkan versus Maeda, it's not the same as Volkan versus Nikolai Zuev at it's, all, and it's not the same as Volkan versus Dick Vries, and it's not the same as Volk versus eventually like the other sort of like pillars of rings, like Kud, uh, like Tamara, Yamamoto, and Kosaka. Like, those are all completely different matches that Volkan learned how to do and just was so fucking natural at it. But just, like, dude, like, Volkan and Nikolai Zuev is well, so much more strike-based than you would think. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. It, it's so much more strike-based than we think of Volk as this fucking wizard, which he is, like, watching him do things. I think he's the master of, like, knowing how to do little stuff, like, Leg control stuff, like watching him do a leg, like do do a leg pick, but then also doing sort of like going into his guard, but also kicking out the other guy's leg while he has the other one like sort of picked. And some like just doing stuff with his body in the things that you're not really seeing as much. I think a lot of time you're focused on someone's hands. In wrestling and what they're doing with their hands and their arms because that can be the source of a lot, source of a lot of offense especially mm-hmm. when you're making your way into a submission yeah but the way vault would do stuff with his legs on that the mat unbelievable is just it's just stuff that no one was doing to that extent because they're just not as good as him but he also knew how to make that work for a pro wrestling context so volkan is like Right there, kind of like being the top foreign guy in uh in rings, while Maeda is working his way through the this rest of the rest of this like super European dominated roster. But on the flip side, you have Battle Arts, which spawned after Pro Wrestling Fujiwara Gumi, which you no, know, it's it sucks because they deal with pancreas fucking Funaki and Suzuki leaving and then you also have to then you also get the battle arts guys striking out on their own and founding their own style. Oh, Before we go
1: on to uh, battle arts, I have two more things to say about Volkan. One, I think the thing that impresses me the most about him is that he kind of does pretty much the opposite of what a lot of rings wrestlers will do where they use their grappling to kind of build towards larger strikes to get knockdowns towards the end. And Volk uses those strikes when people are trying to keep their distance from him to close that distance mm. and get the submission win. Yeah. And one uh, something that people might not know, which I didn't know until I looked it up and was shocked by, uh, Volk Hahn and fellow uh, rings wrestler Andre Kopilov they started a Russian top team and one of their major trainees is none other than Fedor Emelianenko.
0: Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> so, there, there's going to be a whole thing towards the end where we're going like to just want to... I, I, I want to make fun of people who think that she's Style just has no influence and just shouldn't be acknowledged and, like some fucking, like, and act like there's, there's some blight on wrestling. Oh, because I'm ready I, for that. Directly,
1: this guy brought you fucking Fedor. He He's brought- the reason Fedor fucking... Is even half the fucking MMA fighter that he is on the ground. Yeah, like this is like, dude, like it's. You think he takes that slam from Randleman and survives without the training from Vulcan? Fuck no. Like like, this is pure, like
0: this. It's so funny. It's a lot to think. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to think about. And it's like, really, I wish most people, some people who would just say that they just don't like it and move on. If you, if you just say, I don't like it and move on, there's nothing I can say about that. Exactly. But shoot style is more pro wrestling, is more the definition of pro wrestling than like whatever these people gravitate to. And like I said it on the last like, Q&T podcast, I'm someone that's going to have like tomorrow super high and I'm going to have someone like a timothy thatcher who's not in the same mode but like you know probably like the like the from that mold of liking sort of like that disciplined style of wrestling and everything like that like you should call it guys we have like all over my list and i'm also gonna be someone that like ranks like a an okada and a, a and, and a kenny omega so like i really enjoy all of these things but i wish these people that like if that's what you're into the big sort of like spectacle bomb throwing that you became, that we came from the more performance side of pro wrestling that's great but like just say you don't like shoot style you don't gotta like then make it a thing where you just dismiss i think the legitimate crazy amount of influence that th- that this had on what would become one of the biggest movements in sports in the 21st century <laughs>
1: And also, even if you do like that bomb throwing style, which is so prevalent nowadays, there is some shoot or shoot adjacent style stuff directly for you. Absolutely. Speaking of battle arts,
0: absolutely, that's a great segue into battle arts and pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi. After the split of UW after the split of UWF Newborn, it's pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi has a lot of good stuff. It has a lot of stuff that I enjoy. Like you're, you're getting like. The Tampa, like the the Florida guys, you're getting the Malenko's. you're getting Malencos, like you're getting, Carl like Carl
1: Malenko. Yeah, like, like, like like you're
0: getting all that stuff. You even get some weird shit like fucking Glenn Jacobs being there for something, <laughs> yeah. Like you, like you get you get weird shit like that. But pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi, like because Fujiwara is a guy that just loves wrestling. He he saw he saw the forest through the trees. Like he's like, hey, like th- what we created here is great. We should be able to like mix that with other stuff like what we have is so special that if we blend that with the other things that were going on in wrestling at the time I think we can create like this like really special moment and I think that battle arts kind of takes from a lot of Fujiwara's philosophy on the on what shoot adjacent or shoot style stuff can bring to wrestling but like turns it all the way up to fucking eleven, because as you mentioned really really well in your Battle Arts tags video and, and specifically the intro it was like these guys are pissed off. So even like For Battle sure. Arts doesn't have this fucking grand vision of we're gonna do X Y and Z and we're gonna spread pro wrestling love and like it's not like we're fucking pissed off. We didn't like the direction the company was going in, and it's just from the moment they go and do their own thing, you just. Feel the energy is something completely and entirely different. So, I know that battle arts is like very, very, very much your thing. So,
1: to explore
0: and explain to the people, like battle arts' side of the shoot style world.
1: Okay. So, battle arts is it exists in a very nebulous sphere of the shoot style world itself. It's not exactly what you would expect from companies like UWF or Rings, which I would say are far closer to each other on the shoot style spectrum than UWF is from Battle Arts. Because not only is Battle Arts just a promotion where guys are out there to do whatever they deem is great wrestling based on what they did in pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi, they'll sometimes cross promote with like Michinoku Pro. And have great Sasuke and Yuki Ishikawa versus Gulliver X and Gulliver Double X, But Battle Arts is basically, it's, for the vision, it is kind of a combination between Yoshiaki Fujiwara and Antonio Inoki's visions for what pro wrestling should be. In like a sense of, there is that level of understanding that it's dangerous and that people are hitting each other very hard. And the submissions are all incredibly snug and put together at a rapid pace. And you just don't know what these guys are going to do next. But it also has that pro wrestling like ebb and flow and logic and things like guys like uh, Daisuke Ikeda and Yuki Ishikawa specifically have their own specific visions of what they think pro wrestling is, but they can work those visions together better than guys like Takada and Maeda could because Fujiwara or, uh not Fujiwara Ishikawa is probably the world's biggest Antonio Inoki superfan he has like re- uh turned his entire career into something that slightly resembles Inoki's he comes out obviously in the full robes with the scarf around his neck and he takes a lot of cues from Inoki in terms of his wrestling Daisuke Ikeda is a huge, giant Baba fan. After Battle Arts dissolves, he goes on to work Noah before he starts Futen, my favorite thing in wrestling history. But that's a story for another day. But yeah, Daisuke Ikeda is a huge fan of like the Babaist. He takes a lot of cues from guys like Funk and Tenryu, and these two have like that shared experience of working with Fujiwara, and they both got there through very different means. I just have to tell the stories of how these two met. In Fujiwara Gumi, and it started with uh, well, not how they met in Fujiwara Gumi, but how both of those guys got to where they got in Fujiwara Gumi. So Yuki Ishikawa, he is training with Fujiwara. I think like very early into his career, he uh Carl Gotch shows up at the training site. Ishikawa, obviously a huge fan of Gotch's, asks, "How can I come train with you at some point?" Gotch responds with a joke saying, if you want to find me, come meet me at my house, which is obviously in Florida. So what does Yuki Ishikawa do? He boards a plane, flies to Florida, goes to the town. Oh, no. Before he boards the plane, obviously, he needs to know where the house is. So how does he find the house? He finds a picture from a wrestling magazine that showed him standing outside of his house. That flies to Florida. Fucking nuts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Flies to Florida. Literally no plans besides, take this picture out, show it to people, and see if they can help me find this man. He finds a taxi driver who's very nice and just helps him drive around trying to find the house. They have no luck all day. It's late at night. They go into a gas station. He starts asking people in his very limited English if they know where this guy's house is. And some lady at the convenience store says, oh, that's my crazy old neighbor. I'll show you to his house immediately. They go in the uh, taxi, follow her to her house, and then he meets Carl Gotch. And that's how he gets trained with like the Malenkos in Florida. That's And real... then Daisuke Ikeda. <laughs> it's fucking batshit, dude. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's the funniest, like one of the funniest stories in wrestling. Daisuke Akada has a nearly as funny story where he started in the New Japan dojo specifically because he saw a flyer that promoted yoshiaki fujiwara training people at the dojo and this flyer was a blatant lie fujiwara had already gone off to form fujiwara gumi by this yeah yeah yeah, like this is like this is he's been gone for years (laughs) ikeda spends six months in the new japan dojo not really training just waiting around for fujiwara his friend another phenomenal battle arts wrestler katsumi usuda says hey I don't think uh, Fujiwara is going to be here anytime soon. He has his own school, and then Kaito goes, "Oh, really?" And that's how he starts in Fujiwara Gumi. These two have just an unbelievable story of that's like actually, how they got involved in this shit, and it's just there are so many happy accidents that made battle arts what it was.
0: That's actually like perfect that one guy is like a Noki is like an Enoki and in Gotch Anoki and in Gotch stand, and the other one is a Fujiwara stand exactly like that's actually like so fucking perfect that you couldn't
1: you couldn't write something better than that (laughs) no you literally couldn't that's why the whole story of battle arts is so interesting to me because they're just literally the only reason that that company exists is because they got kicked out of Fujiwara Gumi and decided we can't do anything else but wrestle we don't care if there's like nobody watching us we're gonna do it ourselves And they did it like their own way the entire time. That's why there's no uh, sponsors for most of their matches. Like you can tell their ring canvas, the baby blue canvas is pretty much never has any sponsors besides like the name of the show in the middle because they rejected the sponsors because they wanted to be able to do their own thing without restrictions put on them. Like if the sponsors wanted to say, hey, you got to tone this down or change this or whatever, they refused. Which is just crazy. Not a great business decision, but not at all. But it's like, think about, but like,
0: think about, like, it, it just through sheer love and dedication of the craft, and you know, co- cultivating some relationships here, like in the in the wrestling business too. will like, sort of like, sort of like kindred spirits, like I said, like a mentioned, pro Pro, whatever, is like, th- like, battle arts lasted for a long time, like, especially like in, in comparison to something like uwf where like the first two iterations don't even last four years combined battle arts lasts up until what 2001 it, it, it Yeah, the, the original, original
1: iteration was like 2001 my favorite joke is that battle arts lasted longer than the confederacy <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> that is very, that's very very true
1: but like more
0: on battle arts though i think that like and I don't want to say that like the guys in rings or UWFI aren't characters. Cause I still think that's made like a, especially a young Kiyoshi Tamara is very much a character. Oh, for sure. He is a young, brash, athletic upstart and that's very tangible in Takata versus Tamura, or is even very tangible in Tamara versus Vader. But It's not as much of a character that you'll see outward in the same ways that you'll say Yuki Ishikawa and Daisuke Ikeda as characters or Muhammad Yone even. Exactly.
1: Like Like, pre-Afro Yone is one of my favorite little guys in battle arts because he just gets the shit kicked out of him the whole time by everybody. There's a tour that we don't have. I don't think it was in battle arts. It was in like BJW or something weird like that, where it was, I think it was Yone versus Murakami. They had like six matches in a row. Yone lost all of them. Yone's I awesome.
0: Them so Yone's, all, it, it, even, even recently, I don't know if you watched the Limit Break show from, oh now. yeah. Like, even to, I, I thought Tanaka and Yone was like really awesome one
1: there. It was, it was. He still has it, which is unbelievable because if you look at any of the other battle arts guys right now especially like even though i really liked the KT don the semi-main between uh i forgot it was double daisuke or no double daisuke were on opposite sides it was daisuke and sato versus ishikawa and sekimoto and you could see that ikeda was like very very slow like especially Even compared to his 2020 match, he didn't throw any kicks, and he said that's because his hips hurt too badly. But the fact that Yone is still going at the level that he is today with all the shit that these guys do to each other is astonishing.
0: It really, it really is.
1: Uh, but Battle
0: Arts, I think, is more on that embracing of pro wrestling side and really is its own thing. That there's exactly. nothing like Battle Arts. In a lot of ways... I think you could say that battle arts stylistically, if you're watching wrestling right now, you can see more direct battle arts influence than you can see like rings or UWF influence. Even if it all comes from the same tree of UWF started this and that and all the same shoe style umbrella, I think you see things that are more directly inspired by battle arts than I think you see from from any other promotion right now.
1: I think a lot of that is, uh, or at least part of that to me, is with how kind of accessible battle arts is to somebody who hasn't really delved into shoot style. Because there are matches where it won't be as intensely either on the ground where one uh, twist of an ankle could mean death for somebody, or they're just standing and throwing. There are a lot of matches like I'm thinking of uh, Yuki Ishikawa versus Alexander Otsuka from, I think it was January 20th, 1998, where Otsuka just throws a fucking tombstone in the middle of a match after uh, Ishikawa captures his arm. And, God, that match is so great, not only just on its own, but as a starting point for watching Battle Arts. Because it's, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's just one of the most interesting pairings that you could have, Otsuka's the suplex machine, the guy who'll go a thousand miles per hour, can jump clean over the top rope with a half a foot to spare, versus Yuki Ishikawa, the most grounded and okiest wrestler on the planet, and it ends in the most unbelievable way. It's, uh, I can't, oh yes, it ends pretty much in the same way that Mere Big Nog 2 does nearly, well, over ten years later where it looks like Otsuka's about to get the win but Ishikawa grabs onto the arm bends it backwards and it looks like he snaps it which makes the ref uh which makes the ref give him the match and that's another instance of life imitating art when fucking trig or no who was it mir broke nog's arm after nog almost beat him down it's the whole thing about battle arts is that it's all based on these guys' deep passion for pro wrestling and not really caring if they make too much money off of it. But guys who really like being around each other and trust each other doing what they think they do best. And it's just, it's magical.
0: I think that's the best way to put it is like, it's really tangible how much those battle arts guys I think liked each other (laughs) for for lack of a better term. I think even if you were trying to get someone into shoot style, if you showed them something like a random, like last night I was watching, uh, Ikeda and Funaki versus Nahiro Hoshikawa and Yuki Shikawa.
1: Oh, that's a great one. That's a great one.
0: It's like, it's just a fucking fast paced, really mean tag match where they kick the shit of each other. Like that's, that's really it at its core. And it's a lot of strikes and holds, but it's just two teams beating the ever-living shit out of each other. So I think in terms of accessibility, if we're doing this spectrum or whatever of shoot style, that I think that battle arts is by far the most accessible because it had no problem embracing being pro wrestling, I think.
1: And it had guys like uh, Ice going off of the fact that Shoichi Funaki started in battle arts both members of like the original kayentai uh him and takamichi Jinoku, made appearances in battle arts which goes on to your point about how it has more of a lasting impact today than other styles cuz those guys are great mm. and fans still remember those guys and other wrestlers try to do the stuff that they do
0: and i think that like that leads us here with like UWFI being somewhere in the middle the third exactly. the third iteration of UWF and this is the one where I think even though you watch something like Super Tiger versus Fujiwara, even if you watch something like, I don't know, fucking Nakano, Nakano versus Kakihara, that this era I think specifically really gets the pro wrestling side because you get the Vader stuff, which is some of just the most perfectly done sort of invading force in a company that you can get because Vader has nothing to do with any of this. At like, all. He's a fucking former NFL player. Like He has nothing to do with any of this at all. He doesn't have this super extensive training and whatever background. He's just a big fucking six foot six, 300 plus pound guy. But he had respect for the style and respect for their promotion enough to adjust what he was doing and bring that. He was able to bring the appeal of the classic Japanese hero versus foreign invading force thing to UWF, but shape it in a way that was for that style, that promotion in that point in time. And you get Kiyoshi Tamara versus Vader, which is just fucking great shit i think perfect in that middle ground too because it's very 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 much pro wrestling but and this tells this great david versus goliath story of tamora being super skilled and talented but vader just being so fucking massive to overcome but you're able to build something like takata versus vader in that doing as insane business as it did and really i think uwfi Especially with the addition of a, of a more mature, more refined Tamara and the other guys that they still were bringing on for the ride, like Anjo, like Yamazaki. They're like, this was really, really, I guess, like the, the platonic ideal, I think, of Shiga style right here in the middle. So, yeah, like I think UWFI is closer to rings than it is battle arts, but it's enough pro wrestling style elements that it played into that you see the potential and you see why it was able to succeed and go to the places that it did because when you are separated from the clashing ideals of say Maeda from the rest of the UWF roster you're able to get something as special like Takada versus Vader and I don't think Maeda would have had the foresight to do something like Maeda- To say to do like something like himself versus Vader. Because I don't think he would have like seen the vision there that I think that Takata and the rest of the guys did.
1: Exactly. And what I uh while you mentioned how great the characters in battle arts are, I don't think there's a better character in shoot style in the 90s than Nobuhiko Takata defending his troop against Super Vader. He is just the ultimate, like slightly uh God, I can't think of the word, slightly delusional but very, very ambitious fighter who believes in nothing more than the strength of his body going up against the absolute strongest man that they could think of. I think that's probably one of the best ways that shoot style mixed pro wrestling pomp and circumstance with its very specific vicious tendencies. And I feel like Takada... Kind of understood where that middle ground lies so much better than Maeda, specifically because he was able to bring back what UWF originally got so popular for, which was phenomenal interpromotional feuds. And that's not to say that Rings didn't have like those deep, intense feuds. Like you would clearly get when you put a Russian nationalist up against a Dutch nationalist, you're going to get some sparks flying. But when you get things like this that are so heavily built around what makes pro wrestling so endearing and engaging to so many people throughout the years, this is just like an 80s story told in a different context and a different sheen. But you also get things like, you know, the UWFI versus New Japan or UWFI versus War, which is what I'm very excited to watch in the near future because Takada versus Tenryu and Takada versus Hashimoto are two of my favorite matches of all time. He it puts on just masterclasses up against the best and the brightest in any like field that you can imagine. And he believes in his ability to take them down so strongly that even in a situation like against Hashimoto where you know it's in New Japan, they're in this huge arena, they're not going to have their man lose you almost let yourself believe that Takada could get it. He's just one of those guys who understands this stuff better than most.
0: Yeah, it's a thing where... Do I like the sort of badass, real standoffish dick that I think Akira Maeda is? I think that's great, and I think that in a lot of positive ways that can translate to his wrestling. Yeah. But, like, as... Takata just understood it more. It had a desire to understand pro wrestling more like Takata versus Vader for me, isn't all that different than like Ric Flair versus Vader. No, it isn't. And to be able to channel what made Ric Flair versus Vader so good, but to bring it within the context of a promotion that's mostly based around strikes and legitimate looking submission holds, is an incredible fucking feat in something that I do think like deserves like a ton of reverence and respect. And I think that we kind of like settled the spectrum stuff of where these of where these things go and what made every one of these work and what made them what they were and gave them some sort of identity I do want to circle back to rings just a little bit, a little bit. And while the early identity is sort of forged where it's just really my as far as Japanese talent. And then you're bringing in a bunch of the Russian and Dutch contingent that when you do get Tamara who jumps after who, who, who does jump after UWFI goes to new Japan and he just sort of gets phased out, phased down a little bit and leads up mm. leads to promotion and you get Tamara You get, uh, you get Kosaka as he's developing. Yoshihisa Yamamoto's developing. Once you add these guys, even even someone like sort of like a Kenichi Yamamoto as well. When you're adding these guys, I think that's when you see rings start really taking off, and I think we get that real peak of rings as far as a promotion. Probably that 1995 to about early 1999. Yeah, I think is like what we're getting at there.
1: And if you go to say late ninety eight, but early ninety nine works just as well.
0: Yeah, I think that like again the early the early stuff. There's still early gems to go through, especially if you're looking at Volk, which Mm -hmm. I'm not Mm -hmm. gonna sit there and like disparage the wrestlers, but to go from working like with people like Zuev and Kopilev, who I do respect a lot, and fucking uh, Zaza. yeah, or or Teriel, like it's it's a lot different to go from working with them to working with people who are just as good as you or like understand the style just as good as you do and it almost makes me wonder and i don't operate in what ifs when i do gwe stuff but it's like it's a great what if like man like what if volt got to work with people as good as him for his whole career (laughs) Which it was, just, it, it it it's which is harder, but, but you know, because there's so few people that can match what he does. But when you see what he can do with like the other pillar guys, and even sort of, and even the Maeda it's like, man, like, what if you just got to wrestle other people who were as good as you?
1: But he never did. Yeah, yeah, that's that fucking sucks. <laughs> but the the real problem with that is that. How many people outside of that rings environment are on Volk's level and can do what he can do at like such a high level to make it look that good mm. in that specific style?
0: In that specific... That, that That is a key caveat there. But I also think... And he, he just didn't have a desire to do this, obviously. I genuinely think that Volk could have toned whatever down or adjusted it to be to fit anywhere i do i do think that i do think that he had just really good timing and understanding of wrestling enough that if if you said hey let's do vulcan versus fucking 1986 Satoru 1985 saturo sayama like or some, something like that where you get sayama at his athletic peak and i i think that Volk would know how to work something like that. Now, would Sayama know how to work fucking rings? Probably not. Sayama, Sayama wouldn't be able to exactly nail the timing and nuances and the grappling and build up. Maybe not the same way, but I do believe Han had the talent and innate ability to adjust. If he had a desire to, he was part of the guys as rings went firmly into the complete shoot side of things by middle of 1999 that he just went full MMA, which is fine. That's great. I have no problem with that, but it's, no, it's, it's what, it's what if, And I think that shoot style does kind of like operate in this lens of what ifs a lot. And we're getting to the point where this is the end of this UWFI iteration where I found this quote from 1996 in the Observer. And it's this section of the end of UWF. And oh, yeah. if you bear with me, I do want to read this section. December twenty seventh at at, at uh, did run nineteen ninety six. So December twenty seventh at Kirk and Hall. The rumors stemming from this announcement are back that Takada, along with two other UW five wrestlers, will up in New Japan. The two other wrestlers being talked about are Yoshihiro Sakayama, a poor worker, but he's six four, and Baba always had an affinity for tall wrestlers. Boo, fucking boo. Again, Kazushi Sakuraba, a wrestler who has improved into one of UWFI, UWFI's finest workers over the past year. UWFI was a, was, a major force, was a major force in wrestling worldwide. Peaking in late 1993 when a sellout crowd of 46,000-packed Shingu Baseball Stadium to see Takata, the UW, UWFI World Champion, make Vader then the WCW World Champion, submit with Takata's strap on the line. The company continued to do huge, huge business throughout 1994, keeping its position as the most popular of the shoot style worked pro wrestling groups in the world. As mentioned many times before, the popularity and different look of true shoot sports such as UFC and Vale Tudo type events and growing popularity of the more realistic being real in it more and more became established as being work pro wrestling attempted to position itself as being real. This would have been fine, except times changed and when real groups began to surface, the public was no longer satisfied with the style of pro wrestling as close as possible but not really shooting. The beginning of this was Joji Anjo's attempt to gain a reputation as, as a shooter at the hands of Rickson Gracie backfiring. Particularly because Japanese fans of Takata began asking questions as to why Takata didn't challenge Gracie to avenge the lost company honor. This raised questions in the com- in the fans' eyes as to why Takata didn't, and took his hold on Takata's drawing power as his fans believed him to be the real deal, which was near the top of the entire wrestling industry before it all took place. UWFI had a chance to overcome that problem since just a few weeks later, another UWFI wrestler, Dan Severn, made a splash in his first UFC. However, the two sides had a falling out at that point because Severn had failed to listen to UWFI which or had ordered him to not do the UFC, and after a business p- dispute, he never worked with the company again. So the company could never regain the lost grounds of having a true shooting superstar as a headliner. UWFI was, was just about to be blocked by the ladder of 1995, and it was just about to be out the blocks by the ladder of 1995, but ended up being saved by Extinction by about one year by making the deal with New Japan. This resulted in the biggest money-selling feud in pro wrestling history with three consecutive Tokyo Dome sellouts in the nine-month period, including the largest pro wrestling gate of all time for Takada versus Keiji Muto on October 9, 1995, with more than $6 The New Japan versus UW-5 interpromotional angle also paved the way in many ways for NWO versus WCW angle that dominated WCW less than one year later. After Takada dropped the IWGP heavyweight title, which he won on 1-4 to Tokyo Dome in a rematch from Muto to Shinya Hashimoto on 429 Tokyo Dome, he never figured into another major New Japan issue. The company had one last major success in, t- in, t- in September with Takada's first singles match against Denizhiro Tenru. They did an excess of 30,000 fans to Jingo Stadium on September 11th. But the company was already deeply in the debt from 1995, and that show wasn't enough to make a strong enough dent into the debt. And Roger. when I read that, I, f- I I have complicated thoughts on it. And I think the thing that makes it complicated is while I do understand and think there's very much this idea of why watch shoot when you could watch the real thing. That was, that was that, a, that, that, that was a talking point there. I do understand that, but I think it also gets lost that one, how, long has uwf in, the, in, the, in this various iterations been working without tv that how long have these like how like what major backing did these companies like did these uwf interact like iterations ever have and two i do you think that it's more that, that it was more of the fans Kind of being like, oh well, why could we? What, what, when watch this when we could watch this instead? When K one is very very popular at this point, Pride doesn't come out come out until nineteen ninety seven, and even by nineteen ninety nine, Pride had only ran four events between ninety seven and ninety eight. So it's not like Pride was running super regularly. Now K one was running a few time a few times every year like you get like 7 or 8 K1 shows and that was drawing a lot to the point where K1 could go to Vegas and go to fucking uh go to Holland and shit. So K1 was very very successful. But I part of me isn't really sure how much I buy into this being about why go like why do this when we could go watch real shoots? Like I'm I'm not I'm not sure. And I do think that there like there's definitely a huge part of this which is affected by it. But I think a lot of this is just a lot of outside factors. I think a lot of this is just wrestlers making mistakes and one in flying too close to the sun. I do think like saying, like doing things like fucking with Rickson, and Gracie and shit like that, and just flying a little too close to the sun. And yes. there's, there's, there's mistakes made with that because I do think that some of these guys did start to believe that. They were on that level and in a funny turn of a funny turn of events kind of like worked themselves into a shoot. I think that these guys really did desire and crave that legitimacy. Even if even even UWFI, which embraced the wrestling aspect, still kind of crave that enoki ask legitimacy.
1: But yeah, I think like uh Pardon the pun, but it was pride that killed them—their <laughs> pride, not the company. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. I think that's—I—I I feel like that's more of the thing than I think. Not being interested in the style because
1: other combat sports were real. Yeah, that's like the most bullshit excuse you could give. Wrestlers are famously very good with their money, right? They're famous for being phenomenal with how they use their expenses for their companies. Mhm. Yeah. And uh box like a promotion like K1. There's probably an entire team of people handling all of the logistics and all of the promotional stuff. For wrestling there's definitely a team, but it's run through somebody who has at the best a uh, slight knowledge of how business outside of their industry works. I mean I'll, I'll take I'll take it a step further like K1
0: you know, was, it was like did like was K one to the extent of fucking pride with the like, outside involvement from like possible yakuza? Like, no, but like there was definitely like some outside influence from fucking yakuza that was going on that, that was going on with K one. Mm-hmm. Like, that absolutely existed. And when we're talking about things like a pro wrestling company going out of business, there are things like who's backing it and who's financing it that play into it. And you know, if the other thing that's popping off, might have had some, invo- might have had some involvement from people that were into uns- uh, to some unsavory things, but had access to a lot of different funds, and UWFI had funds, but not the same sort of like endless flow. It's you know, at, at the end of the day, it's like big bank takes little bank. Like it's like what, like what are you supposed to do at that
1: point? <laughs> Exactly. The Yakuza can probably fund a pro wrestling company far better than an eyeglass company can. Absolutely. Because those Absolutely. were the people who fucking funded SWS and probably they funded like part of war and a couple of other promotions around that time.
0: It's I, I do I do think that in part in part of preparing for this podcast, I was like, you know, let me look through old observers. And I kind of wanted to see if Dave had talked about Shoot style in a dismissive tone. Like, how like how did he talk about shoot style? Like, right. I, I wanted to see it. And to his credit, like, I don't think Dave ever talked down on shoot style as a wrestling genre. You could even find tweets of him praising things like Kosaka versus Tamora or some shit, and like talking about it being one of the best work matches ever or things like that, where he has I like a he reverence. Loves
1: the, uh, for the Sakuraba Kanahara match too, right? Yeah.
0: Like, he has like a reverence for this stuff. I think Dave has a real reverence for. This deep-rooted uh, valuing the realism style of wrestling. You know, even if he fucking goes crazy bonkers over Osprey versus Oku, I think at a, you know this is the same guy that will also then gush about Brian Brian Danielson versus Zack Saber Junior. So going through it, this guy doesn't have a but have this dismissiveness or disdain for shoot style but I also think that I think that while Dave is the wrestling historian for good and the bad that come with it, I think that the bad that comes with it, at least for me as I'm watch as, as I'm going through this stuff is I think Dave go fought, like went too far with the, Oh, these guys just kind of like killed their fans by, doing xyz and there's so much yeah. other stuff that i think goes into that as to why i just don't think that's the same case and not true and that's not even and that's not even mentioning the state of the japanese economy by this point in time where there's so Boom much japanese over. wrestling happening right there's so much out there there's so much happening at this point but all japan women went fucking bankrupt in '97. That's a thing. Yeah, they they, they they went bankrupt in 1997, and that's all Japan women. You know, ran the Tokyo Dome, Big Egg, all this stuff. Like all the all the things that all Japan women in were able were able to do and be the leading force in all Japan women. That's been around since the fucking 70s went bankrupt in 1997. So it sucks that Shoot Style is the one. That gets singled out here because, you know, everyone transitioned into MMA, and rightfully so because MMA took over the fucking world. Exactly, and that's what made sense to do. If you are fucking Kyoshi Tamara, are you gonna be like, "All right, it's two thousand one, let me go fucking wrestle in New Japan now"? Like, no, I am. I am gonna go fight. That's yes. That, that like that's the thing. I have training. I was a great amateur wrestler. I have all this other training now. I am gonna go fight what like that's that's what happened that's the actual influence that shoot style has how many of their guys went on to go fucking fight and And how many
1: of their guys went on i know the answer to this it was only one but how many of their guys went on to influence mma as a whole forever in the most like unbelievably powerful way one mr kazushi sakuraba and where the fuck did you start it's, right in shoot style
0: it's it sucks it sucks because because all these people once went on to go go to the go do the real thing shoot style gets maligned but there's so much context that like gets lost here and i think that's the part that sucks is because it's a style that i guess it can't defend itself like it, it, it doesn't it doesn't exist there's nothing to point to there's nothing to defend there's people aren't here there was no one fighting for the honor of this thing like they all everyone moved on the mma and you might have and you had people that kind of like still stuck around and made some pro wrestling money you know like we got people that came back from mma to go back to wrestling you know we got like minoru suzuki and masakasu Funaki who left the mma game and came back to pro wrestling and stuff like that like what we we got we got that we got yoshihiro takayama who became an even bigger star from doing his prize stuff in the in the in the Don Fry fight, obviously, and being an even bigger star of pro wrestling when he came back,
1: but the man,
0: like for the, for the large part, there was no one here that was out here trying to revive Shoot Style because in a lot of ways you could argue that Shoot Style did a fucking job, like it created the whole genre basically, like it it evolved to the point where like this whole genre existed like we mentioned Pancrase existing and that is huge in the rise of popularity of mma satoru sayama made fucking shuto and valley japan both of them both. both both of those are satoru sayama things and like that were legitimately successful i think Shooto still exists like we might not it might not be in the same it might not be in the same level that it was before but i'm, I'm shooto might still exist valley japan was doing legitimate good business this is like these are things that are real that happen in is so much more of a complicated history, than I think people want to act like, and it's such bullshit to me that I think it ultimately comes down because they don't like shoot style that we're gonna misrepresent what happened. Japan's economy was fucked up. Now, I do think that like if you wanted if you wanted to make a criticism, well, why was shoot style affected? More than say FMW, and why could FMW exist up until a certain point and have the same drawing power, and not be, and not and not face the same issues? I think atsushi Onita was just that big of a fucking star. I think I, I, I don't I don't even think that's a criticism of shoot style, honestly. No. what the like, I think Atsushi Onita is just a fucking generational wrestling star.
1: He's but, just like he is Jesus Christ in a wrestling uh, singlet Like like
0: chooses to wear one. Like, like to like to that fan base and what they cultivated over there. Like, Sushi Onita is like, fucking, he's he's the same level as fucking Ricky Dozen and Anoki and Carlos Cologne and whoever the fuck else. Like, to to those people, that's who he is. That like, it's not, it's not the same fans. It's, it's just, it's not the same people. No. In again, I mentioned all I mentioned all Japan women like are we going to mention like what happened to all the different various women's promotions in the nineties and the struggles in the struggles that they faced the Elsie,
1: LC or er, Arshin, JD star. They're just uh NEO. So many just LLP, L- 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 L-
0: LLPW going LLPW JW, JWP just was no, was no longer what it used to be Gaia's is there, but it's guy like, you know, Gaia
1: isn't fucking big business all the time. Like it's, it's, it's like one of those anomalies that's completely run by the person, or that's completely existent based on the people that they book because they have so much drawing power. Like a war, the only reason war existed is because Tenryu was there. It would have died like five different times.
0: Yeah, like it's fucking like Gaia Guy was ran by fucking Shigusa Nagayo. Like exactly. God, like again, one of the biggest wrestling stars to ever live. In maybe you can say that like maybe no one from shoot style purely from being shoot style as a wrestler trans like got to those heights. If you wanted to say that, I don't think that's, I don't, I don't think that's like a super bad argument. I think that Takada got really close. I think that even, I think that Maeda, if Maeda wasn't to be, to be frank, such a fucking dick, like, yeah. <laughs> like, like could have, could have got there, but I feel like ultimately, I think the story of shoot style is egos and flying too close to the sun from it's like biggest stars and not embracing wrestling in the ways of like, Hey, what we bring is so unique and special to the wrestling world that when we go over there and when we like intermingle with these other styles, we create like, the biggest things in wrestling dave said it himself in the observer here uwfi versus new japan is a direct influence for nwo versus
1: wcw like you cannot you cannot tell me that shoot style meant nothing and had no influence if you do you don't know your history or are a dumb baby with a dumb baby brain
0: and i think that like Unless you unless you unless you have more there and I think that like you know what like were really the issues with like shoot style like come the turn of the come the turn of the decade like I think that it's a natural point to get back to the guy that's like the root of all this, Antonio Inoki. Exactly. And the reason why this matters is mentioned Ali versus Inoki at the start of this, but Ali versus Inoki wasn't the beginning nor the end of what inoki was doing with this stuff inoki liked putting himself in there and presenting himself as like the world martial arts champion facing people from other disciplines he went to russia in pakistan and did stuff in the u.s and brought over olympians and all this different stuff My, like he wasn't interested to be quite honest in wrestling the other new japan talent he liked doing these big special like a tr- attraction discipline versus discipline pro wrestler versus X style thing that's what he that's what he liked doing and he is so directly like responsible for all the stuff that we're seeing that it's like he sees he's, he's, he's like you can't remove him from it you can't no, remove you can't. him from the store you can't remove him from like how any of this goes? The problem with that is, Anoki. For the things that make him special, those things also make Anoki like hard to like quantify. I think, and like That's when I and, and when I say and when I say that, like it's what works for him works for him because he's Antonio Anoki. It works for him because he established himself as the god of wrestling in Japan. But he's retired by this point. He's retired by the time this goes on and nothing about Inoki's booking mind and the way he views wrestling has changed since then. He's very much stuck on pro wrestler versus other discipline. We're going to create interest for pro wrestling in that way. and while I well, I think you can criticize can criticize her for that. Uh something that you something that you said, uh, I think in like in the DMs or one of our exchanges of ours is like, well, hold on. Like, if wrestling is exper- is experiencing periods of popularity going down, which by the way, is all across the board. I want to add. Like mm-hmm. this, like I meant I mentioned we obviously this is a podcast about she style. I mentioned Joshi, but New Japan after like New Japan needed that UWFI for you just as much as UWFI did. Like it, like they like they like they needed that too. All Japan is not selling the same way that it used to. And Antonio Inoki, if if wrestling popularity is going down, and mma's popularity is going up, which you have a direct foothold in, and you're and you have all this influence over, mm-hmm. wouldn't it make sense? To want to it like bring MMA into wrestling as much as you can, if that's the hot ticket, that's like that makes complete sense. Now, whether it, whether you want to argue he did it in the best way or not, that is a completely different subject. But his his line of thinking is not wrong here.
1: It isn't. It isn't. He just he did exactly what he thought business would lead to where he thought business was going and unfortunately business was going in the direction of sending his top guy Yuji Nagata out to die at the feet of Mirko Cop. and that's just kind of one of the pitfalls of doing business in this way is that if you're gonna be going into like legitimate fighting in some way, shape or form, you're gonna you're not gonna be able to control the outcome of some of these matches. Your guys are going to get embarrassed and very badly in some situations, but that's not going to stop you from saying that they fought valiantly and stop those wrestlers from being, you know, like continuously over like Yuji Nagata, for example. I know this is a podcast about shoot style, but it's in terms of enokiism and people disliking that era of New Japan. I just don't understand it. Because in some portions of that period with New Japan, we got what I would consider one of the better IWGP title reigns ever after Yuji Nagata lost to Crow Cop in 2002 when he won it from Yasuda and just went on a tear of fighting against shoot or shoot style tinged wrestlers. He won against like Boss Ruten, Josh Barnett, and then two of my favorite matches of all time, him against... uh. Yoshihiro Takyama and then him versus Kazunari Murakami, one of my other favorite battle arts guys. He's I, th- I think that's the thing, is like, because there's such
0: this, like there's this, like, stink on this era that it that, like, yeah, like, Yuji Nagata's reign is good. It's really good. It, it, like, it, like, it's but because people are so caught up On that particular thing, which I get it's a big platform, and you like kind of like put your guy in a fucked up situation. I understand that. But I think because of that, even people that you know, like we're wrestling fans, we like cover wrestling. If you're listening to a podcast like this or doing something where you cover like fucking the shit to the extent of like covering Dragon Gate or whatever else, like you are deep in the weeds when it comes to wrestling. Like, you should at least you should be able to separate this dude losing the fucking Miracle, Co- Miracle Crow Cop to, like, the rest of his IWGP title reign. And are there legitimate criticisms, I think, that can be met with how things went there? Of oh, sure. Like, if you're just not into the Bob Sap thing, I understand that. Like, I I, I understand, yeah, I understand. Like, mm-hmm. like, I, like, I understand all of that stuff. I think, like, mm-hmm. if you're just not into Kendo Kashi, like, I'm not mad at that. I do. Like, I, I, I get it. I get it. I really do.
1: Yeah, I understand.
0: Yeah, but it's like, I think that it again, with anything that's like tinged with shoot, I think gets painted in like these broad strokes. And I think that the idea of enoki got painted with a real broad stroke. That, a real broad stroke
1: by one Mr. Meltzer. Of Even course. Even though he isn't hard on shoot style itself, he's hard when it interferes with his pro wrestling.
0: Basically. And I think that was really my conclusion too. Is mouser doesn't dislike shoot style he had a real vehement dislike for the new japan product at that point in time exactly and i think that his vehement dislike of the new japan product i inadvertently whether he meant it to be so to be so or not i think then has an influence on how people viewed shoot style as a wrestling genre as a whole because I think shoot style and Enokiism are very much tied together in ways that like might may or may not be fair but those t- two things are tied together.
1: It's and honestly I do understand why they're so in- inherently linked because Anoki is the god of shoot style and he brought a lot of shoot into the company. But I think there's like a distinct difference between shoot style and Enokiism that not enough people understand. Because shoot style is putting two people who are heavily trained in one specific variation of worked mixed martial arts against each other and seeing the fireworks that happen between them. Enokiism is putting somebody who is trained in pro wrestling, probably for a good portion of their lives, against a freak in MMA and seeing if they survive or not. That's the inherent uh, appeal of Anokiism. Putting somebody like Nagata up against a mountain in Yoshihiro Takayama and seeing how he's able to survive through pro wrestling moves against somebody who is almost entirely against what Nagata views as traditional pro wrestling and what he appreciates and expects from people, and it like works the other way around really well too. Even in the 90s, when Kensuke Sasaki was facing off against uh. Oh, yeah, he had a match against Tatsuo Nakano going back to him. That was really, really fun. And just the way that's not even uh, in the like the time span that we would usually consider Enokiism, but it is something I would call almost Enokiist in the way that it pits a pro wrestler up against somebody who is way more known for their shoot stuff. And Enokiism also has a very misleading name. Because it makes you believe that it's only happened during the period of time that Antonio Enoki was booking New Japan. Right. But like, I've heard people say this before, and I entirely agree. Not sure. not I don't appreciate this man as a human being whatsoever based on what we've learned. But like the best version of Enokiism in pro wrestling, or like the best, most widely acclaimed version of Enokiism in pro wrestling, is Brock Lesnar coming in and beating the fuck out of John Cena?
0: Basically, yeah, yeah. That's that's actually a perfect, straight up example. This is literally some shit that Antonio Noki would have did. In <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, this, this this actually like that's actually perfect. Like I've never as for as much as I've thought about and watched Lesnar versus Cena and how pivotal that match is for shaping the decade of the 2010s I've never actually heard it referred to that way, and that's really perfect.
1: And I can't, I can't uh, take credit for coining that. My yeah. friend Chris O'Brien is the one who told it to me. But, 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 yeah, but it's but, like, but, the but it's funny, way though. to put it.
0: But but it's but it's fu- but it's funny though, because if you ask people that I think are the biggest shoot style critics, what they think about, or 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 uh, not shoot style, let me just, but Nokiaism no critics, right? if you ask them what they think about lesnar versus cena they think lesnar versus cena oh man that just stands out so much in the context of wwe it's like breaking this and breaking all the rules and all this stuff and i can kind of like see like you know hearing that and someone has been being someone that's done the work on on watching new japan from this time period be like motherfucker like this is are you serious (laughs)
1: Like I think the thing that people take most exception to, specifically the non-shoot style fans in the John Cena-Brock Lesnar match, is why they don't like Enochism. They hate that the uh, company's ace survived and won against the guy who was like a domineering beast coming from actual mixed martial arts. And I feel like a lot of people who hate Enochism either have that problem or they're upset that Bob Sapp won. And that part, or like, and had control over the main event scene for a period of time and that part i can kind of understand way more than the other part because it's always going to happen the face like the ace or the guy at the top of the company is always going to be able to take down the opposition who's gunning for their spot because the opposition doesn't really understand how to work in the style and they like might not be able to have that kind of match against everybody that they can have against the ace. So the ace is going to be the one to put them down. And they have to be.
0: Yeah, like that's it's the ace. That's how you build this guy up to like be undoubtedly like the flag bearer, the flag waver of the company. Like that's just how pro wrestling booking works. So, you know, like in, I, I, I will say that I do feel like this could be a reflection of just not being super into the style that then came to pass after. Inoki-ism and then the that mid to late aughts period and you know the transition into the bushy road era but like i don't know if you were on twitter but i definitely remember this sort of like old new japan versus new new japan and who actually was bigger and this and that and all this stuff and i think that it's like for some people that really had done the work and became fans of this period and just stylistically appreciated what was going on there and there was aspects to like what they found fun about wrestling i do think that like it doesn't exist anymore really but during this time there very much was just like super tribal war i felt between like the old new japan fans and the new new japan fans and like who's a bigger star and well actually Shinya hashimoto did this but kazuchika okada is like it's it was a whole
1: yeah there's a whole like I don't even know what to call it, like a schism between the New Japan fans.
0: Yeah, and and and, and I'm referring entirely to like the Western fan base and everything, but that that was a real thing that was happening all the time and was kind of like hard to even separate it. When people be like, "Oh, this is New Japan's most profitable year ever," and they're saying that in like 2016, and someone's like, "Well, actually, it's not more profitable than." Ninety eight or whatever, whatever it is,
1: and then people start bringing up fucking inflation statistics. Yeah, and it's like it's, it's like, ridiculous.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's like this whole and it and it becomes this like whole whole thing, and it's funny because a, a lot of that really is rooted in people that like might m- m- just like nineties all J- uh, new Japan more, but also people that like have some sort of reverence for early two thousands Anokeyism era New Japan and then we're just less into the bushy road era new japan that eventually was transitioned into but like enokiism was even like it's such a hotly contested talking point that it was a thing that divided like western new japan fans on some level like for years even after the fact
1: and it's ridiculous i mean i i understand why people would be so upset at that time frame but I just don't see why that's where so many people give backlash and not into the transitional period in, like, the later aughts, which is where I kind of fall off of New Japan for a while until it starts picking up again in the early 2010s. And that's the time frame where I can see, like, I can understand people thinking that was more of the quote-unquote dark ages of New Japan. Because in, like, the early aughts, you still have guys, like... You have your rising stars like your Tanahashis, your Shibadas, and your Nakamoras, but you still have that old guard laying around. You don't have Hashimoto anymore because he's gone off to start Z1. But you've got you still got guys like a Sasaki. You've got Tenzon there. You even have Tenryu there for like a year when he's in the G1 and 4 And it's uh it isn't just the Enokiism going on. There are so many different moving parts in that era that are just so interesting. Chono like chono's like body is fucked. Exactly. <laughs> it's like Chono like Chono's body
0: is fucked. Mudo is Mudo has moved on to all Japan. Hashimoto Hashimoto left after the Noyo um, Neo- Ogawa stuff. Like it's like there's all these other things that like, hey, are these three Musketeers and like these three fucking huge, gigantic, decade defining stars for the company? Yeah. Hey, what if two of them are just gone? And it, like, it, that's that's hard to fucking replace. That's hard. That's like it's hard to do, and it's a byproduct of more than just a Nokiaism or what we're doing here. Like, dude, like it's wrestling stars left. Times are hard in the fucking Japanese economy. There's a lot of shit going on here, and hey, two two guys that are super. Major in the history of this company, two like legit gigantic box office stars. First, like you know, like like first time they're on the ballot, fucking hall of famers on anything. Those got th- two of those guys left the company, and Chono's neck is completely fucked. And what are you left with? Like you're left with kind of like, huh? All right, like what do we do now? And when you're going and you're in a program and you're in an era where. Wrestling popularity is going down as a whole. MMA popularity is going up. Fuck, what do you do? You figure something out. <laughs>
1: and I feel like they did pretty much the best that they could have done in a situation like that, at least for a few years. The run in O2 is really, really good. If you go back and look at like what was happening in New Japan at the time. I mentioned the Nagata title run, and that was like, going back and watching that recently was a revelation because i went and watched a bunch of other stuff on the cards and there was a lot of really interesting fun shit going on in new japan at the time like you cannot tell me that given the pieces that they had they didn't do the best job that they could out of it besides a few mistakes and what wrestling company doesn't make mistakes
0: of course but like you know, I feel like anything that goes into like that side of wrestling, it feels like those mistakes are like hyper analyzed to like the mistakes of UWFI and the people that came out of the that out of that promotion, or even like pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi and all this stuff. they like their mistakes are like super duper highlighted. That like the misgivings that might have happened at some points when Nokiism is like more highlight is more highlighted than like the context of these things and i don't know like i feel like when we do these things and we talk about wrestling history history of a promotion history of all this stuff we can't just do this thing where we paint broad strokes because it feels like we just will
1: miss so af- many things
0: miss a lot in when a lot of Japanese wrestling history, even if like Fumi Saito exists and we can go like go to Uda Fumi Saito for things, a yeah. lot of it is told through the lens of Dave Meltzer. And if Dave didn't like it, which is perfectly fine for him to feel, that's okay. But because Dave doesn't like it, it cast this huge fucking shadow of judgment over a era that, frankly, a lot of people just haven't done their actual due diligence on because they weren't watching it and frankly a lot of that stuff wasn't as super available at the time anyway so how many people that say say all this stuff actually watched it like and like you know watch were watching at the time or went back and watched it and like it feels like a lot of people that do that are just saying it because that's the thing to say not because they went and did the work themselves and this goes into some shit like fucking O'Shea Jackson Jr. being, you know, people, people, people. Oh like God! That. But it's like, dude, like if you like if you didn't do the work yourself, you're just kind of like going based off what this one person says. And Dave is the go-to wrestling historian; like, he's done the work to to do that. But it doesn't mean Dave is perfect, and he gets the story right all the time. And yeah. I think that this is a perfect example of I think that like Dave's Misgivings about a product then bleed into how that entire time period is viewed for people wholesale because Dave is the one that said it.
1: And honestly, there's like a double edged sword of that going back to Battle Arts. I don't think Dave ever reviewed a single Battle Arts show once. None of his, uh, none of the matches specifically have a Wrestling Observer newsletter rating. And it's kind of good in a way that dave didn't cover battle arts because i'm pretty sure it wouldn't be his thing and he would kind of disparage it in some way and i can see that from how he talked about uh Fuminori abe versus takuya nomura from this year making it on to the top 10 which i personally thought it was match of the year but that's another conversation but uh,
0: it was also my match of the year for what it's worth
1: like <laughs> oh yeah let's go but i just uh At the same time, it's also opened Battle Arts up to be kind of a company that you only really come across if it's, one, something you're interested in, and two, if you go, like, digging through, like, older wrestling. It's not necessarily, like, a hidden gem of a promotion, because a lot of people will talk about Battle Arts and how great it is, rightfully so, but it's something that exists in, like, this small niche of wrestling that not a lot of companies well a lot of companies probably exist in that space where Meltzer hasn't covered it but it exists in that space where he hasn't really covered it much and there's a shit ton of footage of it so if you want to go and dig deep into the company you can at any point you want archive.org is free at least for now I hope it stays that way and stays existing but yeah battle arts is just it's a very special company for that reason along with all the other reasons but yeah dave is the reason that we have so much of the coverage of pro wrestling in japan that we do today and like even around the world and i think that has led more than a lot of different things to the kind of stifling of other companies and uh viewpoints on pro wrestling in other countries that may have footage that we don't have but yeah he his like he is the arbiter of what a lot of people think about pro wrestling and i think that just comes down to people like you said not doing the work on their own when they really should and when they do it'll be like a much more enriching experience for them
0: So i i wonder is like i do feel like for the most part but that debate era of sort of like old new Japan versus old new Japan uh, versus new new Japan is like kind of gone now. I yeah. feel like, I feel like that's most likely kind of like, like we're kind we're, of, we're kind of done.
1: We're kind of done by that. But I feel like more people are talking about how much new Japan is over and how yeah. bad it is.
0: Yeah. I feel like we've kind of like gone to a different stage, but I feel like in a lot of ways that we've, touched on already i want to get your thoughts on the legacy and impact that shoot style shoot adjacent whatever leaves behind and ultimately do you think that this is a style that gets unfairly maligned by people who leave out a lot of economic and other context of the country of japan when discussing it
1: to answer your second question absolutely people will malign shoot style for any reason that they deem necessary and in a world where people are so much more focused on how much a wrestling company makes than the quality of shows that it puts on it only shines a more negative light on the companies if people choose to view it that way and very unfairly so because they don't understand like all the historical nuances that go into making shoot style such a like a flash in the pan. I don't think any other wrestling style has come and gone in the zeitgeist as quickly as shoot style, not only in terms of like well, there are other shoot-style companies that show up later on, like U Style, you've got Style E, and obviously Futen, which is more shoot-adjacent than shoot style. But in like the 90s there was never a time that shoot style really could have existed outside of that point in time where MMA was still in its amorphous infancy stages before all of the regulations got passed and it became kind of a household thing in the U.S which uh ended Japan and the fact that it had such like a strong cultural impact not only in wrestling but Mixed martial arts. I already talked. We already talked about uh Sakuraba and fucking Fedor, two of the most important wrestlers, not wrestlers, but two of the most MMA important MMA athletes of the 2000s, coming or directly inspired by pro wrestling. It leaves much larger of an impact than its detractors would ever want to say that it did, and even though wrest, uh, you can't really quantify like time it's been around versus impact on the rest of wrestling because i don't think there has been a style that was one invented this recently besides like the pwg spot soup residification of stuff but there isn't like really a style that has come and gone so quickly that you can measure like how long it was around versus the impact it had and the fact that you can't do that with shoot style is almost what makes it so important. You can't even quantify how many different wrestlers have like gone out of their way to watch UWF and gone, Hey, I want to add that stuff to my arsenal or how many wrestlers have like directly talked about their influences from these companies. You mentioned at the very beginning, Brian Danielson versus Loki. That was like the clearest love letter to that old school, uh, shoot style like a combination almost it's almost a combination between uwfi and battle arts with a little bit of rings thrown in there at the end and it's uh like some of the best wrestlers today are that good and understand wrestling at such a deep and meaningful level because they've either worked alongside the pioneers of shoot style like timothy thatcher will go twice a year to uh train with ishikawa this year he trained with Abe Nomura too, but yeah, these uh, like a lot of the best wrestlers. Brian Danielson has uh, displayed his love for battle arts on his old forum posts a ton. they are just a bunch of people who we look up to as great wrestlers, especially guys who understand the grappling aspect of it a little better, who can trace their uh, talents and lineage back to watching this stuff at a younger age. Even even like someone that. Like I think because he's British, like he gets more associated. because he's British. It's a way to, it's a great way to uh, qualify a discussion of any person. <laughs> but because he's British, I
0: think like he gets more associated with like the world of sport style grappling, which he came to be known for. But as someone that's watched like a fuck ton of Zack Saber Jr. Over
1: exactly, the-
0: it's like if I, if I watch like 2009-2010 tw- Zack Saber Jr. He's a lot like more someone that's inspired by battle arts and shit yeah, like that clearly than someone that was inspired at that point in time than the world of sports style grappling. It's very, very clear by that point.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was such a he is like a big, big battle arts fan, too. There are pictures of he has like a Mark picture with Yuki Ishikawa when uh, Ishikawa was training in Ontario. Hmm. Oh, do you know about uh like who runs the Ishikawa Ontario uh Battle Arts Dojo?
0: This is not the fucking um that's not the fucking
1: Santino Morella thing, is it? It is the Santino Morella thing.
0: Okay, that, 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 that is the scene of, okay. All right. Yeah. I no know, no know, know about that which is always so funny to me.
1: But yes. <laughs> Such a funny connection.
0: Yeah, it's it's so it's so funny. But yeah, but it's like Zach, who I think will get more mostly associated with sports style stuff because that cutesy stuff was what he got most known for when he popped off on the u.s indies and everything like that but a reason why like i'm so i revere zach so highly is because i view him as a guy that can do like all of it and zach like very clearly has a reverence for shoot catch like battle or something. whatever all that whatever all that branches out to
1: even can... like stuff like yave he incorporates into some of his work yeah, like that, Like he, like he just like he
0: loves that shit as well. So like stylistically, you like you see it there. But honestly, like, and these are these are two of the best wrestlers of all time. I'm not sure that Shinya Hashimoto and like Toshiaki Kawada wrestled the way they do without shoot style existing.
1: I oh think, no, they don't.
0: I, I I think I think you can see like direct influence on like what those guys wanted to represent and be. When, when you watch when you watch shoe style like I remember having a conversation like this years and years back in like the infamous slack check that, I'm, that I mentioned that I mentioned here all the time mm-hmm. and I remember saying man people have like so much to say about New Japan opening so, like modern New Japan opening sequences right where the first 10-15 minutes if you Don't wanted to right. say so that you could say that this like doesn't really matter or lead anything mm-hmm. and I'm like man that's, like, so funny to say and criticize an Okada or Naito or whoever for their mat work as if, like, fucking Kawada and Kobashi and Masawa are, like, all that interesting,
1: like, in nares. And- oh, no, they're like, I'm going to get a ton of heat for this, but the four pillars and a couple of the three musketeers' mat work is, like, not very good at it's all. It's not good. It's not like, it's, especially if you're going back from watching stuff like Battle Arts and Rings, where all the sequences are so intricate and detailed and specifically oriented to prove a point, they just feel like so much, so lackluster and so devoid of that struggle that you get from those But, but, but,
0: but, but even by, like, even pro-style standards. It's exactly. Like, it's like, I remember thinking this, like, fucking like seven eight years ago i'm like man like i don't really get why okada gets killed for this and like i love kawada he's one of he's he, like as far as favorites he's my favorite of these guys I'm like i don't know why we just treat kawada as if he just like this one like ha- like this like super duper legit badass and like acting as if he's just this, i don't know it feels like some people just have like this, mis- like this misrepresentation of kawada and what he actually was as a wrestler sometimes
1: And it's, like, really confusing, especially to me, because Kawada takes so many cues and so much inspiration from my favorite and probably my pick for the greatest wrestler ever, Genichiro Tenryu. And he was never, like, all that on the mat whatsoever. He's, that's, like, one of my slight gripes with him is that his mat work isn't very interesting. But if you put it up against all the other great stuff he does, it just doesn't really matter. And he, uh, Kawada just is... Like um, he was molded in the image of Genichiro Tenryu, and he just doesn't. He has that same like weakness, but people paper it over and call him like not necessarily. I haven't seen people call him like a technical wizard or anything, but I've seen people call him like one of the more technically sound wrestlers of his time, and I just can't disagree more because he's phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, I love Toshiaki Kawada, but if you put him in there with Volkan. He's going to embarrass himself.
0: If you put him in there, with fucking. If you put him in there with fucking Kazuo Yamazaki, <laughs> <laughs> like if you put him in there with Kazuo Yamazaki, it, like, oh man, like this is that would be really embarrassing. Yeah, like it's and, and, and it is great that like those guys were able, were able to create a style in which like you were able to build and escalate and do whatever without having to with with, with the mat work not really needing to be employed as much. And not like really detracting from the match like to be able to yeah. go there and get to what they needed to do what they needed to get to and elevate to without having super key mat work spots is a testament to the talent in itself but it's just it's just it's just a funny thing when i think that well when i when I compare like those eras and conversations but to get back to the point at hand it's like i think hashimoto and kawada are very clearly byproducts of you mentioned tenru being a like you know being an influence on Kawada and that is for sure true but I think that when you go to the employment of kicks or whatever that like in Kawada being a guy that got known for that it's Mm -hmm. it's 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 directly shoot style influence it's like the hard-hitting badass side of things like that got that's a direct influence I think that it's a very clear influence on Shinya Hashimoto I think that even to the point of like when Hashimoto left New Japan and then Zero One I think that Shinya Hashimoto like based off of, I think bad experiences and like you know what Ogawa and shit like that like that when you go and look at how he like used um Yuki Shikawa and shit like that and like other battle arts guys in Zero One it's like you can tell he had a bad taste in his mouth for fucking like shooters or shoot adjacent guys like it, it's It it, it's a fascinating history that I think gets downplayed, but even then, like I think two big stars are influenced by this. You can even go to like how they implemented like this it for it forced these companies to have decisive finishes. Like this is a thing where we're transitioning from an era of the Japanese versus foreign talent time period in wrestling, and it forced them to have cleaner finishes and more decisive victories, and really almost by itself changes the whole genre of Japanese wrestling, I think, to, in, in, in those ways.
1: And-, and it's like, sorry, but I think it's so funny that a style so deeply associated with people not being able to back down from their comically large egos was the place where people actually got clean finishes.
0: That's also extremely funny, <laughs> yeah. Like this, the, this land where you do have the fucking gigantic egos of Akira Maeda and Nobihiko Takada, who would just talk shit to fucking Rickson. Gr- uh poor fucking Yoji Anjo.
1: Oh my god, I feel so. We had to talk about that at some point. I feel so bad for the little guy. Like, like poor,
0: like, poor fucking Yoji, who's one of my favorite guys. I love Yoji Anjo so much.
1: What said like he gets fucking sent to go fuck with Rix and Gracie? What the like, fuck? What he, are we doing? <laughs> in any other situation, if he was asked to like talk to pretty much anybody else, Yoji Anjo would have had a fun little vacation over the few days he stayed there. But he had to go shit talk Rix and Gracie.
0: This god damn poor poor, poor fucking Yoji Anjo. But yeah, like this. This this place where Kyoshi Tamura didn't want to go fucking work New Japan, and Akira Maeda didn't want to go. How dare he go fucking work Lucha and run ropes? Oh God, 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 God forbid! Like God, it's this land of this is still where we got an era of more decisive finishes and not getting the DQs and count outs. Like this, it's shoot style has had way more positive influence on wrestling than anything negative, by far there's way more positive impact on the style of professional wrestling in Japan than there's anything remotely negative. Anything that you have to say negative about street style comes to how it might've been booked at times by people eventually after the heyday of the style. If you want, if you have like problems with the Noki's or Nokiism or, 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 or whatever. But other than that, I think generally it's had a huge impact on a, on every positive outlook in every way, like with with, with with wrestling, with whether it's like, I think that's striking. Absolutely being better in Japan and getting better over time and looking more legit and hard hitting and really embracing that. Absolutely. It's also a byproduct of shoe style. This is like, this all I think goes together. You can't separate, you can't separate these things. Like I can, I can watch, Jumbo saruta versus fucking Billy Robinson and Nick Bockwinkel and Mill Moscaris from the seventies, and I love those matches, but it's it's you you see it's not this it's not the same. The style's different. Even when you get into the eighties and you're watching eighties New Japan and you're watching what they're doing, it's still more of that like jet like that NWA influenced style. That's what like that's what you're getting, and when you get the change it changes a lot and is it just shoot style no you you attribute out at the fucking like saturo sayama and all that stuff that like you know the heat that he introduced and all that like, it's it's a lot but by far everything is just so much more positive than negative
1: okay i have a question now that i'm thinking about this a little bit more based on what you just said about the nwa style do you think in some way and I think the answer is probably a yes, given what Satoru Sayama's political beliefs are, that the return to shoot style was like some sort of a movement in like Japanese nationalism to stray away from the Americanized style of pro wrestling that had become a custom around Japan because you were bringing in like foreign heels like uh, Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, even Ted DiBiase constantly in all Japan. And in New Japan, you had like so many unclean finishes, so much uh, DQ and just stuff like that all around.
0: I think uh, absolutely I think that like that can be rooted in that for sure. I mean, like I think that Sayama also rightfully so thought that he should be pushed even bigger and harder as a star, which like he's wasn't wrong for either. No. For but you're also like right in the middle of new Japan kind of like trying to figure themselves out again after like the stuff with Shinma and Inoki and getting this, like having like the kind of like public disgraces and stuff like that. And even though Sayama was such like a huge star, not wanting to kind of like go all the way with like building around his, his character and what, and like building the struggles of the company and promotion around him and through his eyes. And, some of that it goes through like the junior, the perception of junior wrestling. I think even by that point, and also Antonio Inoki be like, "I'm gonna fix this myself," and I think that absolutely just from an ego standpoint also influences Satoru Sayama to be like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna do this whole different thing." But as opposed to like being like, "Hey, I'm gonna go to all Japan," so like doing something like that, he decides to go do shoot style and make what and and, and like create its own genre of wrestling and be part of that be part of that transition and that revolution and i absolutely do think that this is that, that that there probably is a where we're doing all this u.s influence bullshit we're doing all this stuff to appease fucking u.s relationships we're doing all this stuff because these fucking american guys don't want to come over here and lose to us and we don't want to lose to them fuck it how about we not involve them this is us this is our thing this is like this is what we want to do and you know you you don't really get a lot of the foreign involvement in these promotions until like much later on and that could be through like lack of funding and stuff like that especially in like the 1984 iterations or whatever but it's like it's it really is this is this is our thing. This is not what America taught us to do. This is not a byproduct of the American style wrestling that got brought back over. This is like, this is, this is not that this is our thing. And I think that's also a really big part and kind of like the, maybe even the coolest part of UWF. And like that initial thing is it is its own thing. It's very much its own thing because Japanese wrestling was just not based off of Japanese versus Japanese talent matches. It just wasn't. It just that's not what it was built off of. No, and In like inextricably, the Japan's wrestling history is bonded with the United States,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that goes into like, like, like
1: uh, <laughs> a, a lot destroyer. of shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, like that that goes into a lot of the fucking like imperial, you know, a lot, a lot of imperial imperialism and imposing its will. On Japan, on on Japan, that is
1: all the way back uh, to like this is further than what I just talked about. But the only reason that Anoki was able to get such a like a large a crowd for his like biggest fight of his career was because it was against like the most famous American boxer in the world. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. It's there's there's a there's a lot here. You can't tell the story of Japanese wrestling without Americans. It's it it, it it is it got kind of, it is what it is whether like for for good or bad it's just the truth. But,
1: but you the fact that you can tell everything. like go ahead. Uh, the fact that you can tell the sh- story of shoot style history without so many of the American wrestlers that you would immediately associate with Japanese wrestling history. I mean, you still have like obviously Carl Gotch and Vader, are the two huge American wrestlers within the shoot style. McC- world, McC-
0: but but Carl Gotch, like. It, This point, but we basically lived in fucking like the only people that like are relevant are Carl Gotch and Luthez, like 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 that's really the extent of it. Invader obviously for being such a big drawing point for UWFI and just like being able to draw so big with him, but it's Carl Gotch and Luthez, and Carl Gotch fucking lived in Japan, I'm pretty sure. By like like, yeah yeah, so it's like like so like and Carl Gotch won like also (laughs) where's Carl Gotch from? He's not he's not American. I'm from where Carl Gotcha's from? I can't, I can I can remember. Where is fucking? Carl? I
1: remember that he was, uh, his family was uh, interned in the Holocaust, so I know he's somewhere from around Eastern Europe.
0: Okay, yeah. So even then, but so like, I guess what we that we have Thez? and that's really it. That's that's honestly maybe even the coolest thing about shoe styles. Like you can tell the story of it without the American imperialism that. Very much that that very much influences like the fact that they had so much control over the way
1: Japan wrestled. (laughs) It's it's like so unbelievable. That's one of the things that makes shoot style as a genre so interesting to me is the fact that it's such. I don't know if there's another genre of wrestling besides lucha that's so inextricably linked. Well, not even Lucha, because shoot style is so inextricably linked, not only with one specific country, but one specific like 10 or so-ish year or like, no, like 15 or 20 year window of one country. It's like it is the epitome of flash in the pan wrestling. It could have never happened anywhere else with any other fans, with any other group of wrestlers who had specific ideas under any other like. Country's regime without the, as you said, imperialism of the US and like the hegemony it had over Japanese culture and wrestling as a whole. It's just such a unique uh, genre or like style of wrestling because you can pretty much tell the story exclusively with Japanese wrestlers and a few outsiders who came to Japan specifically to wrestle that style and came with lots of respect for that style. I'm not just talking about guys like Luthes and Gotch, but even down to like smaller, even less than the Vader's, the Carl Greco or Carl Malenko's of the world who traveled all the way to Japan just to work with battle arts exclusively. Right. Or even somebody like, oh, I'm trying to think, but I can't, uh, yeah, there's so few that I can't, I'm drawing a blank on my second wrestler that I'm trying to name Volkan. Yeah. Volkan is, he's not from the U S but he's another, uh, non-Japanese wrestler who deeply influenced shoot style but he came with like a deep understanding of sambo and japanese martial arts and how to like combine his own martial art with shoot style and it all comes down to the fact that these men i think the egos involved aren't just the reason that shoot style ultimately died an untimely death they were the reason that shoot style was invented because you don't get it without just those brash, brazen personalities saying, fuck you to everything that wrestling stands for.
0: Right. Like it's, shoot shoot style is the closest thing that wrestling has ever gotten to any, like, like, I guess like that resembles like punk or grunge. And like, like, in those like, those like real, like before the commercialization and like mains in mainstream, uh, taking of those genres. Like that's really the best way to describe it. It like it's like this is actual punk rock pro wrestling. This is actual like yes. the closest thing, the closest thing that you can get to like the rejection of the fucking homogenization of rock that like lead that leads to like the grunge era of the early 90s. Like it's this is like the closest thing you get to that in miss perfect because we saw how quickly punk got taken. And made corporate. We saw oh, like man. how we saw how grunge like got taken and fucking sanitized and watered down. And we saw like what that like what rock music looked like by fucking like 2000, 2001. And it's like we like, we see how that went. Like we see like what made things cool, what gave it life and how it just for various reasons. In different reasons compared to, like, then wrestling, obviously, just no longer existed in the way in which it used to. And that it never came back. And, and music is different. Like, if I want to go find some good, sort of, like, sludgy fucking the dirty, grimy rock music, I can go find it. Like, I can, yeah. go find, I can go find the music. I can go find this. I can go find this stuff, right? But... If I if like but if I want to go watch like something that's influenced by, by 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 shoot style stuff or anything like that like yeah there's the Abe's and the moras of the world but you know most times it's I, just two guys yeah it, it's just two guys and sometimes what I gotta get is fucking like fucking Yujiro Yamamoto who was around for for the shoot for some shoot style stuff back then in him battling in a fucking bar. At American Pro, like that's almost sometimes like the closest thing that you can get to even like finding like some like something battle arts inspired. Yeah, and that's like so can like so can we do that? Can we like can we go dig and find and search and scour all over the fucking world to find stuff that scratches that itch? Yeah, we can because there are people that were influenced and shaped by how that wrestling made them feel but it's not the same with the punk or grunge because you know it's just music is different music is just a much more wider and vast industry and like way way more easily accessible so i can just go find whatever and like it's harder to find the stuff that stands out in wrestling and ultimately in wrestling you still want to be someone that can catches the attention of a major company and stands out and you want to go through the schools and all this stuff you're it takes a lot of fucking gall and audacity to do shoot like to, to, to do to do that it takes a lot of fucking gall to to leave pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi and be a bunch of unestablished guys and we're gonna go start our own promotion it takes a lot of fucking gall to be a Kira Maeda and have and have burnt all the bridges in the world and be like hey you know what I'm going to do? It's just going to be fucking me and a bunch of guys from
1: Holland. It take it takes a lot of audacity to do that. And it takes a shit ton of audacity to send Yoji Anjo on a plane exclusively to die. Yeah, that that, that as well. It's
0: it's it's a level of brashness and brazenness that made shoot style that. This the fact that, that, that like you know even as like as like, defenders here you can also say like influence like you know we're causes of it's eventual demise in some ways but like shoot style can't exist without that brashness like it, it, it inherently has to exist with that brashness
1: like and it also has to exist with a like an understanding that what you're doing goes against like the codes and morals and rules of so many other professional wrestling schools and academies and saying, no, I'm not going to do what you have taught me, potentially burn a bunch of bridges while doing so, and then form your own intuitive style that other people who have the same beliefs, opinions and goals as you do can wrestle like all together. And you have to have that like perfect combination of a bunch of people who are very frustrated with the way professional wrestling works a bunch of people who have an innate goal to change what they want to see in professional wrestling frust,
0: frust, frustrated with the old guard frustrated with this hey like you know here i am languishing not really doing anything and we're on the fucking 10th straight bruiser br- fucking bruiser brody dq countout finish like <laughs> it's like it's you know like i it, it came from a, it, it comes from an understandable place and again UWF in its inception can't stress enough, it is a new Japan subsidiary. Yeah. That's what it was. It was a new G- it was a new Japan subsidiary subsidiary. It was a manuf. it was a, it was a manufactured uh it was a, it was a manufactured interpromotional strife and everything like that. Like that was the original plan. But once they got abandoned, it everything everything changed. Once at once that whole thing gets abandoned and those guys were just kind of like left their own devices and you just have Maeda and Sayama and Kazuo Yamazaki and Fujiwara and all those guys left there being fucking ab- being abandoned with no t- with no with no TV deal and all those guys that are supposed to come never coming and just kind of being asked out you got to be a fucking brash fool of a person to be like fuck it let's go we're doing it anyway yeah like like you like you have to be in order to survive in that
1: situation you have to be like that and the thing about wrestling is not only do you have to be like that you have to know people who are willing to be like that who are as upset as you are because literally uh, if you went to pro wrestling today to find a bunch of disgruntled young guys who want to do their own thing You'd find so many people, you'd find so many of them, but to get even two of them to agree on what that thing that they want to do is would be impossible. The fact that there were so many of them concentrated in one area at one point in time is something that I don't think we'll ever get again. And we've also kind of lost the recipes, like a lot of those guys, like Maeda, uh, Takada, even uh, like going all the way back to Funaki. A lot of them either went into MMA and didn't train people in pro wrestling, or their bodies were so broken down by the end of their career that they wouldn't be able to train in the way that they wanted to, or at like the fullest extent of their abilities. So the like the recipes or the stuff that makes shoot style shoot style hasn't necessarily been passed down between generations, except for like small pockets of people in Japan who are thoroughly dedicated to it. Like your U file camps and your foot camps. So when you think of shoot style, for
0: in you in your own words, what do you think the legacy of the genre is?
1: I think the legacy of the genre. It depends if you're talking about just pro wrestling or pro wrestling and MMA. Because if you're talking pro wrestling and MMA, it's a uh, A legacy that spans both, uh, like both forms of entertainment, UFC would or MMA would not be in the place it is today without pro wrestling. It would be far less popular. And I am saying that with 100% confidence, if Sakuraba Gracie doesn't go exactly the way that it goes, MMA is nowhere near as popular in Japan or in the US as it is.
0: I think I think I think you can argue that MMA wouldn't have been the thing. I think you could argue that kickboxing would have been the thing.
1: Yeah, Pride wouldn't exist without Takata versus Gracie.
0: Yeah, like you can like absolutely argue like like K1 was ar- was running US shows. And yeah, UFC was a thing and they were like trying to figure whatever out. And again. Like Vale, vale tudo, Valley tudo, Brazil is doing is doing is doing stuff there. So like the idea of mixed martial arts is there and prevalent, but I think there's a legit chance that K one and like kickboxing becomes the thing more than mixed martial arts becomes the thing.
1: Like if you take that, I'm I completely agree. If you take Takata out, you don't have pride, and the MMA boom in the U S. doesn't really come until Chuck Liddell gets big. There is a huge gap. There's a huge power vacuum that kickboxing could really easily fill. And pro wrestling is the only reason we have like the UFC doing as many shows it as it is today. And even in, on like, the pro wrestling side of things, shoot style has inspired a lot of the best workers going today. A lot of the best workers of the past 10 to 15 years who... Had their career renaissance or like had their entire careers happen between now and the point that shoot style quote unquote died. It's really integral to how I think a lot of later interpromotional rivalries have gone as well. Like, uh, Dave mentioned how UWF versus New Japan, I think, was one of the things that sparked WCW versus NWO. Obviously, that's one of the biggest fucking, uh, Programs in professional wrestling history. It's the whole reason that we have the WWE as we see it today. Because without the NWO versus WCW feud, the Monday Night Wars may look very different. Everything in pro wrestling looks so different without the NWO. But that's just one way that shoot style has changed Like what we view as pro wrestling. Without shoot style, we don't get Kazunari Murakami facing off against Shinya Hashimoto in the Tokyo Dome. We don't get Shinya Hashimoto as the wrestler he is. We don't get so many of the things that we deem great in pro wrestling, but you might not know that we don't get them without shoot style if you don't know shoot style. Like, there are so many different threads that you can pull that if you unravel them, all of them trace back to something that shoot style helped popularize. Like, of course, there were a lot of bloody, violent matches uh, in during the eighties in New Japan and All Japan. But I think at like the floodgates that opened after you see Tatsuo Nakano, his face just leaking all over the canvas. It isn't immediate, but you see companies like New Japan and War more than happy to let their guys do a little bit of bloodletting, and it's uh. There are so many just small ways that shoot styles influence people, like the way kicks are thrown in wrestling today, the way people will go for a takedown or defend a takedown. There are so many just small, minute details that people pick up from shoot style because it is such a style focused on that little minutia and how to make every little turn of the limb and whip of your leg feel important. It it and, it, be, it became
0: the standard of training, basically. Like, if you want your stuff to look good, like you watch them, their stuff. The like the smaller, how you throw a leg, how you throw a how you throw a leg kick, how you sprawl, going for like go- going for a leg, going for a leg pick, uh, sit, like sit, uh, sit, sitting out of a sitting out of a uh, of someone that has their hand around your around your stomach, like all that, like you learn from watching them because they're They
1: studied it the most and the fucking best at it. Do you know what, like, uh, the craziest part about that, I just remembered because you mentioned it, or mentioned how it is the standard of training. You know how WWE, like, in 2019, brought a couple of uh, shoot-style guys to the Performance Center to train people? Yes. You know who one of those people they were going to get was? I don't know, who was it? Yuki Ishikawa.
0: Oh, fucking course, there we go. (laughs) Yeah, like it's the fucking what more can you say other than it's the fucking standard like it became the standard of training i'm like hey like if you want your shit to look good you should like watch these people like they're a basic understanding of these movements and techniques is like the the best and that's why it's like to get to this one you know i I say i saved the like the real the real fun last
1: topic here Yoshiaki Fujiwara not being in the fucking Hall of Fame is like... It's ridiculous. It's complete bullshit. If I made a Hall of Fame tomorrow, just of wrestlers who have influenced pro wrestling the most, he would be in there first ballot. Ten wrestlers, he's in there. Five wrestlers, he's in there. Three wrestlers, maybe not, but five 100%. and, And
0: it's like, even if... Even if you wanted to argue that he's not like a slam dunk Hall of Fame worker, right? even if you wanted to say that it's like just from the fucking influence and impact. Like, I'm sorry. You can't. Yes. Anoki is a bigger star than him. So like by proxy, like Anoki matters, but in terms of cre- inventing the style, inventing what would like, what would be, would become. She so like, you can't, you have to give what you are credit for that. He's just as
1: important as fucking fuck uh, like, Anoki gotch. Uh, honestly it's a little bit of a hot take but I think the only person more important to the formation of shoot style as we know and love it is Carl Gotch Yoshiaki Fujiwara is more important than Anoki because not only did he train so many people he gave so many people the heart and passion needed to become the pro wrestlers that they became he he also actually fucking wrestled them
0: Like, like Yoshiaki Fujiwara was doing all that and then going out there and like having these matches with Super Tiger and then Dude, like, man, the fucking October match with fucking Takada in nineteen ninety—unbelievable. He's so fucking good in this match. It's probably like my favorite Fujiwara performance ever. He just so fucking good. He just he just so wonderful in that match. But anyway, even if you don't want to give him the worker thing, it's just like when you look at influence impact. Like you're saying, the only person that's more important, informative to the style. To the style specifically than him is Carl Gotch?
1: Come the fuck on. Come the fuck on. And who is more important to pro wrestling than Carl Gotch as a whole? Like maybe two or three people, if you want to stretch it. It's
0: it's it's so funny to me, and then like the argument being like, ah, well, he's influenced in the dead
1: genre, so was it really a positive influence? What the fuck are we doing here? And then what the fuck are you talking about? Just in a dead genre. Everybody who has ever done a headbutt has taken something from the way Yoshiaki Fujiwara throws his.
0: Like, it's just, like dude, like dude, he if he's if he's the fucking godfather of uh, of a style of wrestling that would that had the capacity to go on to draw like sell out crowds to the fucking Tokyo Dome, then I'm sorry, like what do you want here? Like what like I don't really understand what you want to be happening here
1: <laughs> and i'm sorry but a guy like tomohiro ishii making the hall of fame before yoshiaki fujiwara is disgusting i love ishii he's a really great wrestler he's one of the best uh tenryu trainees in doing what tenryu does but adapting it into a more modern context right he is nowhere near the in-ring wrestler or nowhere near the unbelievable influence on pro wrestling that yoshiaki fujiwara is well, i'm sorry but Again,
0: but again it's like even if you wanted to separate like be like if, if someone just isn't as in the fujiwara okay cool we'll separate that leave that alone but like if yeah. we just influence impact influence impact versus like ishii's like in ring and i think you can give ishii a little bit of influence too it's like yeah. i don't think that you just I, I don't think that outweighs what fucking fujiwara did like i, just, I don't think that that's, like, I, I, that's so fucking baffling to me. That's
1: I need like, to like stop myself from actively going through the W O N Hall of Famers and saying you're not worthy. You're not worthy of. I mean, I mean,
0: Shinsuke Nakamura. Oh my god! Really? Yeah, Nakamura. <laughs> Nakamura. I didn't even see that. Yeah, Nakamura's Hall of Famer. <sighs> I'm pretty. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Nakamura's Hall of Famer. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Nakamura's Hall of Famer.
1: Mm, that just that pains me to no end that somebody who was like not uh he wasn't directly influenced by Fujiwara but somebody who wouldn't exist in pro wrestling if Yoshiaki Fujiwara didn't do the things that he did is in there before him
0: yeah in, 20, in 2015 Nakamura was inducted into the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame uh, Hall of Fame 20,
1: it's been 9 years it's been 9 years 2015 okay that's a crime somebody has to be tried at the Hague for this (laughs) like I it's
0: dude I don't fucking get it I really just don't understand but Fujiwara that's like that's really a crime against wrestling I think that's like that is like very much like a crime against wrestling but um I think for me like the legacy of shoot style I think like I said earlier is this is the closest thing that you will find in wrestling to something like a punk or grunge. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is what makes it cool. As much as I love the, uh, the three musketeers era of new Japan and the juniors that we got, we didn't mention the fucking influence on New Japan juniors. Oh no! Oh <laughs> we, my god! We didn't even mention the influence on fucking Shinjiro Otani and Koji Kanemoto. Like we didn't even, we didn't even mention that. The but Kaiwa? Yeah, we we, we, yeah, we didn't mention the influence on the fucking juniors. But like, yeah, like as much as I love that, and I have like a love for like most like most things wrestling. It's it's just the coolest thing to look at because it's so unique and what it represented and like in a lot of ways what it's what it stood for and i i just like i i I admire it more than like i admire almost any other form of wrestling like and it's not that it's perfect it's not that i think that like every shoot style match ever is fucking awesome and it's great and it's just like you know it's a perfect style but I admire what it takes to be able
1: to do that. The guts that it takes to be able to say, fuck you to a big time contract from one of the biggest promotions in the world, just because you believe what you believe in strongly enough. That's like a level of conviction had by so many different guys at that time. That is pretty much unfathomable in today's wrestling sphere.
0: Yeah. It's just, I appreciate and admire shoot style more than a lot more than a lot more than a lot of other wrestling and like and i say this admittedly as someone that because i grew up watching mma like when i was trying to like learning to understand she style i was or like, getting more into, into wrestling i was someone that was like well i could just watch i could just watch ufc like i like i, like, I come from a place where like that's how i used to feel about it and over time I'm like man like this is a hard thing to do there's a hard thing to do. You made a style from scratch and whether that was the UWF crew and whether that was battle arts or whether that was rings, you made a style from scratch. My, like, my, if, even if we separate Maeda from the UWF stuff and we just be like, Hey, like Takata and Yamazaki and Fujiwara and Anjo and those guys made a style from scratch. And, akeda and uh and, and akeda and ishikawa and Osaka and, Gre- and greco and ono like they, they, like they made a style from scratch in fucking maeda and volkan and Zuev and yamamoto and Kosaka made a style from scratch like do they have like similar roots and things like that but it's like damn like at the same time like we're watching these they're making their own style they're making these as they're going along and they're not the only ones. Like, we watch, like, the fucking, like, Lucha Ressu stuff. And we're watching, yeah. you know, like, Mishinoku Pro, Toru Yaman, eventually Dragon Gate all do the same thing. But to just completely buck the system and buck the norms and create your own thing and do that, its it's a cool history. And I think more than anything, like, even though, like, we had moments of, like, being, like, super passionate about it and caring and like doing whatever like i really it's just a cool history and i think i just want people to know that there's a really cool history behind sheet style that if you don't get blinded by the this by, by the discontent for enoki is a really cool style of wrestling there's a really cool story there to, to, sink your see, to, to sink your teeth into that There's ex- so many cool stories, like so, like so, like so much so. Like it's not an exaggeration to be like, hey, this really ties into the history of pro wrestling. By far, like I've done psychology as dead episodes on fucking AJ Styles and Kenny Omega and all the and, and, and all this stuff. And by far, in terms of like actual research. This is the most research I've ever done for a podcast. And it's not just because I cared about doing the podcast well. It's there was so much information that as I kept going, I wanted to find more and more information. I wanted to find so much stuff. I wanted to find, hey, did anyone else own rings other than Akira Maeda? Like, who was funding this thing? And I couldn't find anything. I'm like, oh, was fucking Akira Maeda running this shit by himself? <laughs> like, like, I, like, I'm like, I, and I don't know. I still don't know. I can't find. I can't find if anyone was fucking funding rings. I don't know. Like, I don't know. That's insane. Like, I like, I can't. Like, I can't find anything. I don't know. I, I really want to know where this was coming com- coming from. There's still more that I want to know. I want to really pinpoint. Hey, is this just, you know, the like the uh, language bit, like the language barrier in terms of fucking coverage or whatever, so I can't find anything. Like, but I'm like, hey, who who funded Rings? I, I don't want to know. But and, and Rings lasted until fucking 2002, so it, it wasn't just my Ada. There's no way it was just my Ada. It had to be backing somewhere. So, like, like who was it? But I can't figure out what it was. And like, there's still so much that I want to know, and I want to learn. And I think ultimately it's just this is a really really cool period in wrestling and the 90s and wrestling is just especially in japan is just so fucking cool there's so much that's cool and unique about the 90s in wrestling and in japan in japan in particular too it's just you get king you get you get into king's Road stuff in all japan you're getting really good new japan stuff Tenru just being a fucking one man army doing whatever, doing whatever he wants. You're getting, you're getting all the various, people. you're getting all the, you're getting all the various different Joshi stuff um, across several different promotions. You're, you're, you're getting the birth of lucha, of lucha Rasu and, Michi, and Michinoku Pro and all these different things, and so much to love and enjoy and like. Still don't there. Forget,
1: uh, <laughs> don't forget FMW. Oh, FMW, yes. Everybody with his explosions.
0: FMW, like in Onita somehow becoming like the if anyone became fucking anoki was onita it was like like in like in like what he was able to cultivate there and you still have shoot style and i i really hope that if maybe this podcast can get someone can encourage someone to like give it a chance reevaluate how we talk about some of this stuff then like that's really like what the end goal here because like it's just just a really cool period in wrestling and i can't let you leave here without saying what what to you is the best shoot style match like i'm gonna give you two i'm gonna give you two what is the one you would you would show someone to get them into shoot style and what is your personal pick as someone that's versed in the style as the best shoot style match
1: all right So for the first one, I have two separate answers. It depends on whether the person I'm showing shoot style has a fondness for the red stuff in wrestling. If they do, 100% of the time, I'll show them Matsukatsu Funaki versus Tatsuo Nakano. It's a basic pick, but I don't think you could really go wrong with that match. It is one of the most heated shoot style fights I've ever seen in my entire life. Nakano's nose bleeding all over the place having to get a towel, that towel quickly blooming red, slowly creeping across it. It's just, there's so many visuals and so many impactful moments that it just has to be seen to be believed. And if you're not that into blood, I would suggest any, any of the three, I would make them sit down and watch the entire trilogy uh, between Vulcan and Kiyoshi Tamura, because it's just that good. And it exemplifies it. exactly why the technique in shoot style is so important to what it means and my favorite shoot style match I'm going to say something a little bit controversial but it is Alexander Otsuka and yes Alexander Otsuka and Yuki Ishikawa versus Daisuke Akeda and Takeshi Ono from October 30th 1996 and if you know that year 1996 you know there's a very famous tag team match that takes place a month and a few days afterwards. And honestly, I think the ten thirty ninety-six tag is the best tag match of nineteen ninety-six.
0: That's a statement that I understand.
1: I don't endorse, but I understand. <laughs> I just like watching Takeshi Ono get ragdolled around by Alexander Otsuka like he weighs nothing.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, it's hard it's hard to top that. It is hard to top that.
1: <laughs> and it has, like, it secretly has some of the best Ikeda-Ishikawa interactions in their entire career.
0: It is a, How it about is, you? What would your choice be? a really be? good match. I love that match a lot. Uh, So, I think, like, in the realm of, like, basic answers in terms of, like, getting someone into it, I feel like it's hard, it's hard to go wrong with like fucking Kyoshi Tamura versus Vader, like because I think it's I think it's still pro wrestling enough, yeah, to get someone interested in it in that way, right? But I think if I'm going for something that's more straightforward as a foray into the genre, I'm thinking Masahito Kakihara versus Yoji Anjo from June twenty eighth,
1: 1996. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. And I say that because I think Kakihara is just a fucking badass and i think the story here is just so good of one guy getting completely dominated and getting his shit kicked in for the majority of this and like having you know he gets knocked down has using all using all his escapes and he just like you know being on his very last thread and then finding a way to be to be able to eke out this victory is it's very very wrestling it's yes. very wrestling so like I feel like even if someone isn't used to like how much grappling and leg locking, whatever that they're seeing, you can still follow through on one guy's getting his ass beat for the majority of this. And then like the sort of underdog flash comeback victory that you get. That is like a very like fundamental wrestling story. So like that would be in terms of showing it to somebody to get them into it. I think those would be my picks, but I thought I thought about this and for a long time mine was Tamora versus Takada from from yeah. 14, 1993. Like I think that's perfect wrestling. I yes. think that is as perfect of a fucking story as you can see getting told as Takada being the guy in UWFI facing the real brash and arrogant Kiyoshi Tamura and watching that story play out and watching Tamura get so close, so close to maybe like to pulling that shit off. You're watching it and it's really gripping and enthralling. But it's Tsuyoshi Kosaka versus Yoshihisa Yamamoto from April 4th, 1997. April 4th, 1997.
1: Yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with that.
0: It is, if you want to like understand. It's it's almost like the closest you get to like fucking like real outward showmanship in rings. It's in in, in Hall too, which is like a real which is a real which is a really neat thing. And as they're going and closing, and you know that the match is getting clo- closer to this end, you see both guys fucking exhausted after this clint that they've been putting on. And you see Sioshi Kasaka just like hyping himself up and just like like fighting through this wind and pain and this getting like all like being completely fucking gassed out and it feels so earned it's you watch these guys grapple and and fight and kick each other and and hurt each other for for all that for all this time and like I don't know if you participated in any sort of like uh like Martial, like in any sort of like a combat sport or discipline or anything like that but it's like I, yeah, wrest- I did
1: taekwondo when I was younger. Like I like when I like, I, res-
0: I wrestled and it's like I know how fucking tiring 3 minutes of wrestling is. Yeah. Like I know how tired your arms are after doing all that. Your arms are really tired. So as I'm watching a shoot style match that goes as long as this did goes to a time limit draw and you're watching them, it's like the most earned. I've felt like watching fatigue in wrestling, and those yeah. guys just having like nothing left in their bodies, and they're just going to fucking war. I think that's like the pinnacle of the genre for me. I think that on an execution level, it's hard to beat something like tomorrow versus Han. It's hard, it's hard to beat that. The execution of it is fucking flawless, but nothing hits me in like my core that the way that Yamamoto versus Kosaka does.
1: No. Yeah. That's completely understandable from everything that I've heard you talk about how you uh, enjoy shoot style and what you like about shoot style. That is kind of what, one of the ones that I would have expected up there on your list. And I'm really glad that you put it up there because it's one of those matches that I don't think gets as much love as the Tamora Han or the Tamora Kosaka match, but it's definitely up there and worthy. Or even the Tamura Yamamoto match.
0: Yeah, yeah, like like, like something like Kosaka and Yamamoto together. Oh yeah, it like, doesn't get the same acclaim that like having like Tamora or Han involved. No, it's gonna, gonna have. But yeah, like Kosaka and Yamamoto like together, just like they found something like really fucking magical and special. And, like there's other ones that you can sit there and pick that are very 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 valid but like yeah i, I don't think anything kind of like hit me in a special like emotional way the way that that hit me in like a in in that in that regard and like it stands out because of that that we like because like even beyond the execution and being in awe of that it's like man like i watched that and as i'm watching kosaka like fire up as he just yeah. has no more left in the tank it's like that's fucking wrestling. That's pro wrestling. It's wrestling. That is so fucking pro wrestling. That if you don't like that, I don't know what to tell you. Like I, I, I really don't know what to tell you if you don't like that. Yeah. So that and, is like that, like that, like that. Yeah. That's yeah. That that that's 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 the one for me.
1: And one thing to end this off: if you don't like shoot style, or you think you don't like shoot style, even if you have like. A very, very like, valid reason in your head to not go out of your way and watch any of it. Like Lucha, as I mentioned before, it is not a catch-all thing whatsoever. If you don't like one company, there's definitely going to be something in that bubble of shoot style that speaks to you at least a little bit. Because it encapsulates everything from like a brilliant grappling competition between Minoru Suzuki and Naoki Sano, all the way up to Alexander Otsuka getting his head stabbed open by Mitsuhiro Matsunaga. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's there's something there. Like, and you just just give it a chance. Like real it really just like chalks up to just giving it like giving it a chance. And maybe eventually maybe eventually I do hope that like the opinion starts to turn on that. Or maybe we just have more people doing the work to kind of like change the perception and opinion on shoot style. But I think that we're about covered every covered covered everything. Uh Ethan, I really want to thank you for being on here and doing this podcast with me. I had a lot of fun doing this. I loved being able to do psychology is dead again. And genuinely like you were like the perfect guy to be able to do this podcast with. So like, I am really grateful that you appeared on here and yeah, just thank you. If you want to go ahead and share your, share yourself, your handles on the various platforms and everything, it is your time to do so.
1: All right. I'm Ethan. I, as you can probably tell, I have a YouTube channel called four pillars of hell that we mentioned at the very beginning and a Twitter called Ethan Mac and cheese, and a new exciting project that I am happy to announce for the first time right here on Psychology is Dead. A couple of my friends and I are going to be doing a bullshit podcast called the uh, Scramble Bunkhouse Death Cast, where we talk about some of the bloodiest, weirdest, and most disgusting wrestling that we can stomach. And it's probably going to go downhill very, very quickly into discussions of the most inane bullshit you've ever heard. So if that sounds like anything up your alley... Go out of your way to check it out. That sounds really fun. Also, I have one more question for you before we leave. What's up? Was there a moment when you watched Abe versus Nomura from KT Don that it like immediately jumped up your match of the year list? It could be during the match or after, because I have two very specific moments.
0: <sighs> yeah, I don't I don't I don't think I have I don't think I have the specific moment. I think like I think as I'm watching Abe and realizing, wait, I'm like, uh, I'm watching Abe and I'm like, man, am I watching him put on like a fucking like generational performance right now? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and, like, I think I'm just kind of like having a moment like, man, this is like, what am I watching right now? It feels like I watched someone hit their apex of a res- as a wrestler in real time.
1: Which is insane.
0: Yeah, it, that's how it felt in I've been a Nomura guy, it's like just like I've just been mostly a Nomura guy since like they've like come
1: together as the astronauts there. I have since you, the uh, that unbelievable Okabayashi match.
0: Yeah, it's like so, like even look, so even when you know Abe and Nomura facing off against each other and never mentioned when a team, like I've just always preferred Nomura. And as I'm watching, I'm like, fuck, like, like Abe is just. Is he the best wrestler in the world? What the fuck am I watching right yeah. now? <laughs> but no, I, I can't think of a, of a particular spot. And I I haven't like watched it since. Man, I, I don't know the last time I watched it. Like I def- I've watched it more than once. But like, yeah, I remember this is also like my fucking brain fog point. Mm-hmm. So like I might not be able to pick out a particular spot, but I would love to know yours.
1: Mine was probably that point where uh I've watched a lot of astronauts matches and I know how... uh. Fuminori Abe likes to throw the punch and then act like his hand was all hurt because it probably was. But then at that point where I think they're in a leg lock and then Takuya Nomura throws a punch directly at Abe's face and he like holds his hand in pure agony because he thought, oh, it can't be that bad if Abe only just like grimaces and what uh shakes his hand off a couple times. But no, you see Takuya no more go through like the five stages of grief in that one (laughs) facial expression. It was either that or like at the very end, after the first time I watched the match, I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I've wanted for my wrestling. It was at the point where I'd been watching battle arts religiously to prepare for my video. And I was like, this is some of the best stuff I've ever seen in wrestling. And then watching that match as a continuation of my like love for battle arts felt it felt like just like the perfect moment and then when you get to that end scene where Abe just smiling away blood trickling down his yes. face and Nomura has that thousand yard stare I just I can't help but love just the way that those two express themselves in the ring and how different of a reaction they have after having like maybe the best match or at least one of the top five matches of the decade. Yeah. And it's it's like just those facial expressions are there's so there's so much that's said within that moment that like for how they feel about what they just did. Nomura is just shocked that he was capable of that level of violence. And Abe is very pleased with himself.
0: Abe's Abe's just Abe's a sick fuck and Nomura's just like, I don't know what just happened. Yeah. (laughs) It's like it's like it's, it's it's a really perfect contrast, and like it's it's a match I needed in twenty twenty three. I needed that match. I really really needed that match, and it was by far my match of the year because as much as I, I need I needed I needed that match that much. And like for like for reference, like my number two was Osprey versus Naito. Like I mm-hmm. like I adore that, but like Nomura versus Abe, it's just what I needed and was like one of those things that kind of like. Made me start to feel a little bit better, but as soon as I watched that match, I was like, "Oh yeah, nothing is going to top this for me." They're like, they're, there's like, there there is nothing that will even come close. And then, who knows? The next time we get something like that, you know, you know, in that vein, in that style, and if
1: it's even like half as good as at Bloodsport, I will be more than happy. Yeah, yeah. If if, if it's even
0: as good yeah if it's even as good as like say like their fucking other matches when they were like younger and getting like not that much time like even, yeah even like now. the
1: basara and bjw matches i think are really good
0: yeah so even like hope so hopefully we get something to even like matches up there but uh, you can follow me on twitter at QC underscore moody if you don't follow me already you can follow the podcast network at violent underscore people and you can follow the podcast account at Q, and T, I'm trying to use it hard. Oh, we'll, see, we'll, see, we'll see how that goes. I'll probably, I'll probably forget to use it, and we'll just go back and post the podcast links. But it's been a long time, and I felt a little rusty, and I probably need to do this a few more times before I feel, like, totally comfortable again, but I'm glad to have brought Psychology is back, and this will not be the only time you hear an episode this year, and maybe you'll even get one in the very, very near. But thank you all for listening and I'll be you next time.